0: Hey, uh, Georgie. Do you want a balloon, Georgie?
1: I'm not supposed to take stuff from strangers.
0: Oh,
2: uh, well, I'm um, Pennywise the
1: Dancing
2: Clown.
1: Now we aren't strangers,
0: are we? I gotta go! Go? There's cotton candy and rides and all sorts of surprises down here. And balloons, too.
2: Do they throw?
0: Oh, yes. They are you-
2: when you're down here with me, you, you float.
0: Welcome to Now Playing's review of It. It's me and the Losers Club has officially begun. Part of the Stephen King movie retrospective series.
1: It's summer. We're supposed to be having fun. This isn't fun. This is scary and disgusting.
0: Hosted by Arnie. Here I am, Wheezy. Stuart. I am a child. I am the eater of worlds and of children. And you are next. And Jacob. What a bunch of handsome old men. This podcast contains detailed plot spoilers and harsh language.
1: Go blow your dad, you mullet-wearing asshole!
0: Listener discretion is advised. Time to float.
1: Today, we're discussing Sometimes It Comes Back. (laughs) For you. Or its more boring name, It Chapter Two. Starring Jessica Chastain, James McAvoy, Bill Hader, Isaiah Mustafa, Jay Ryan, James Ransone, Andy Bear... Some of these people have to just be happy their name's on a poster. I mean, who the hell are some of these guys? The Old Spice guy? Kiss his name above the title? And Bill Skarsgård as Pennywise. Directed by Andy Muschietti. This is Arnie, co-hosted out playing, and the fun is just beginning.
2: And Stuart. And this is the host who still insists he sees the ghost, Jacob.
1: It. Aftermath. Wow. As a Stephen King fan, as somebody really into Stephen King around the time this came out, if you remember, Dark Tower came out right before this. I was actually buying a couple of Stephen King tchotchkes to go on my bookshelf with all my Stephen King books. They're made like a Jack Torrance action figure and things. And I'm like, you know, they don't make too much of this. So I'll get a couple of these and put them up there. It is exploded merchandising for every Stephen King thing. There's a Hot Wheels Christine. There are more Pennywise figures than I can count. What? Yeah, I'm not kidding. Wow. Yeah, so many Pennywise toys of all price points. This has opened a floodgate on Stephen King that has never been opened before, merchandising him to the Gen Xers, I think.
3: So, what does that mean? I mean, we all know what merchandise meant in fanning the love of Star Wars. What would it mean to hold a bobblehead of Pennywise?
2: Arnie called it out Gen X, you got to buy your Funko Pops. It's just buy stuff, buy toys, buy tchotchkes of stuff you like. And Stephen King's the big hot thing now, so that's just how the market is.
1: Is it selling? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I didn't buy any of it at the moment. Mm. You know what I liked about it? When it was niche and there was like two things, I loved it. When every week I'm getting an email, yeah. get <laughs> this new Pennywise doll for $200. I'm like, all right, fuck it. How many Pennywise
2: variant Funko Pops are there? <laughs>
1: Oh my god, so many. Long <laughs> wow. tongue Pennywise, bloody Pennywise, smiling Pennywise, <laughs> frowning Pennywise, spider Pennywise. Okay, this
3: kind of helps me understand why you were so into scarred They've really been able to magnify what was a very small part of the film. He really wasn't in that many scenes, and by my impression, he was only good in about half of them. So, how he has lived on in the minds of the viewer is through merchandise. He made an impression. He scarred us, and now, two years later, he's come Coming back to finish the job.
1: Yeah, and again, I'd equate him to a Freddy Krueger. I think it's the closest thing we've had to a horror icon in a long time. And Freddy never had that much screen time. It was all people talking about Freddy, and Robert Englund cameoed in a lot of the films, you know. So, and I think merchandising—they're like, we've made every Jason, we've made every Freddy. Oh my God, Pennywise! We have something new to sell. Yeah,
3: but you know, the highest grossing Nightmare on Elm Street movie wouldn't begin to touch the gross of this film. It goes well beyond the reach of a horror audience. I mean, this. uh, there were people in my neighborhood, I walked my dog, and church-going folk who I would never suspect to have opened a cover of Stephen King said, Oh, it's coming out soon. (laughs) People I would not imagine. Demographics that do not see any other horror film are coming out this weekend. And why? The impression I got was they really loved The
2: Kids. Yeah, I think that first it was huge, and like almost every viewing was sold out when I went to go see this Friday night. Theater's packed.
3: Yeah, you can keep going on about Pennywise, and I think you're right. For a certain level of people that loves horror iconography, that's a thing. But I feel like, in Mass, the reason why this is so beloved is because those children were so good, and it connected to childhood so well. And that's the struggle of Chapter 2. I know that the kids are coming back in some role, but the torch is being passed. It will now be for new actors that didn't even have the job when the first movie
1: came out. What's funny is before It Chapter One came out, the sequel was in pre-production. You know, the studio knew what they had. Right. And so when they were doing pre-release interviews with the cast, they asked the young kids, who would you like to play you? And young Beverly said, Jessica Chastain. And that kind of makes sense. I mean, Chastain had worked with Muschietti before. Yeah, and I mean, how many redheaded actresses?
3: I mean, (laughs) it's it's
2: either her or Dallas Bryce Howard. Or what about Sophie Turner from (laughs) X-Men Dark Phoenix? Yeah. Uh,
3: 27 (laughs) years later? I mean, add some (laughs) great highlights to her hair, maybe.
1: And then Wolfhard said Bill Hader. Those actually happened.
3: Yeah, I don't know how much they had already envisioned for chapter two when two
1: years ago it blew up. They had talked about it the whole way through one is what it was. They kept saying, if we do a two, let's leave this hook here. Let's leave this here. Let's leave this vague enough here. They knew... If the movie was successful while filming part one in 16, if this did well, we would want to bring the kids back. We'd want to have some flashbacks, but we're going to focus mostly on the adults. And they had vague ideas, but they didn't have a script. Yeah, they knew the parts of the book they had left behind. And so that
3: was a lot of material. It's a big ass book. They could make lots of movies out of what was remaining of that. But they didn't have a script. They didn't have a cast. Again, it wasn't called chapter one. They shaped the experience as total. You could just watch that movie
1: and be done. And that was the studio's choice. Warner Brothers did that. The makers wanted to call it It the Losers Club so that it had kind of a hook there for a second one. And I think the compromise was chapter one at the end credits.
2: I stand by that I think that movie does work as a standalone. If it had bombed and we never got chapter two, I think that would still be a satisfying movie as far as the art goes. And, and I appreciate that. I like it when movies tell a story instead of tease another film to come out at some other point.
3: And I also think that there is a lot of retconning done in the film we're here to talk about today. Oh, yeah. They didn't create a first chapter that set up a lot of things they're
2: going to do in this film. That's why there's so many flashbacks.
1: Yeah, they had to correct it by bringing the kids back. And they did de-age them with CGI because kids of that age, you know, two, three years later look very different I noticed height differences. I noticed, like, some who were shorter than Beverly in part one were now (laughs) taller than Beverly
2: in part two, but they made the faces look younger. Yeah, I noticed at times they look a little bit plastic. So, okay, that makes sense because they de-aged them. We gotta de-age these teenage kids. Not only
3: that, but I noticed some of the lip sync work. I'm like, that ain't his voice. You know, your voice changes. Two, three years later, they can't say the lines like they would have in the summer of 1989. So,
1: yeah, you just get people that kind of sound like them, but... Not them. Jack Dylan Grazer was the one who looked most distracting to me. Like, for some reason, his face just looked like an old man made into a child. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but this is expected to be huge based off the first one. I mean, the first one broke records. Chapter 2 is breaking a record. It's the widest ever released for an R rated film with over 4,500 screens in the US alone. And They were saying 110 million, 120 million this weekend. It's already falling short of expectations, though. It is? It made less in preview screenings than the first film. It's anticipated now it's going to make less over the weekend than the first film. What did the first film do? The first film got 135 million the first weekend.
2: I guess I didn't see that opening weekend, so I, there wasn't the big crowd. I didn't realize that was so big right away. I thought that kind of had a slow burn. So it's looking like this will
1: be perhaps second biggest, and they're now readjusting estimates down to 90 million, maybe as low as 80 million compared to 135 million for the sequel. I gotta think some of it is you don't see kids, and it's not an 80s period piece. The nostalgia isn't there to draw in the big audiences. I know when I saw IT Chapter 1 opening weekend, nary an empty seat in the house. When I saw this opening night... It was about two-thirds full on the app, but a lot of people didn't show up. Like, all the seats around me were full on the app, and people just didn't come. I think that's the result of that AMC Stubbs premiere, is you can buy tickets for no money, and so you reserve seats, and like, oh, i am decided not to go.
3: Mm, interesting. <laughs> I was in the same screening as you, Arnie, for Thursday IMAX. We didn't see each other until after it was all over with, but I did also go back and saw a matinee on Friday. There was almost nobody there. So I have not had the experience that this is something the masses are turning out to, but the numbers are saying something different. Even at $100 if that's less than expected, that's an amazing opening. That's huge.
2: Yeah, for an R-rated horror film, that is amazing. And like I said, packed when I saw it, I do wonder, when the reviews started coming out, and I always avoid the reviews, but you always see headlines in that, there were some concerns, and I wonder if that scared some people away. Like, they were not buzzing like with Chapter 1.
1: I didn't hear anything. I didn't see any reviews before going in, but this movie costs twice as much as the first one. Bigger actors in it. So mm. if it makes less, this one costs $70 million. They had budget built in for de aging kids, and they had named actors who we know, and some of whom need to redeem themselves from an earlier X Men film this summer and need to show they still can do good. Budget built in so they didn't have that
2: crab fiasco <laughs> from the TV series.
3: Yeah, and it's also longer. They can't screen it as many times in a day because it adds, it feels like another hour. It's not quite that it's more like 45 minutes but still
2: it's two hours 50 minutes it's almost three hours we're we're talking avengers level length here well the first chapter
3: one was also over two hours but this goes beyond that by at least 40 minutes So, again, for lots of reasons, if you know the book and hold the opinion that I do, the best stuff was the childhood stuff, you wouldn't expect this one to be better. That wasn't my idea going into this movie. My hope was they were going to change things. My hope was that they would realize flaws in King's writing and just say, you know what? Out it goes. We will do our best to take the best moments but we are not going to be so beholden to the novel. I mean, it's happening in a different time period. This is now set in modern day. It would only make sense in the advent of social media and cell phones. Our world feels so much different than it did in 1989.
1: Yeah, and you got your wish. A lot of what happens here isn't in the book. And I think Muschietti and Gary Doberman, the writer of both these films, realized that the adults didn't have a huge storyline. They didn't do much in the present day because the whole story was interwoven. And so what they did was remember what they did as children. And then you got to see them fight. It as children in one chapter, followed immediately by them fighting it as an adult in the next chapter. So you felt like the characters did a lot. But when you're making a movie and you're recasting the actors, it's going to feel like the adult actors have less to do. So they took a lot of liberties with the script. They did a lot of inserts. I expected to be more child stuff. I knew the kids were coming back and I knew this movie was three hours. I thought we'd have even more flashbacks than we do. But those young actors. I'd call it a cameo.
2: Really? I thought there's a lot of child stuff in this, and I feel like they knew that was the best part. And after seeing that second night of the IT TV (laughs) miniseries, oh boy, I was concerned. This is three hours, and they couldn't even pull off 90 minutes with the adults in that thing. What are they going to do? And yeah, it'll be interesting when this comes out for home viewing to like break it down, how much the kids are in it, because I feel like we got a lot of them. It, the
1: TV movie, poisoned my wife, who loves the first (laughs) It movie. She would not see it chapter two. She was just like, nah, I saw what happened to those adults. I don't want to see that again. (laughs) I don't know that that's a bad attitude to take, but Arnie, why don't you give him the plot and we can dig into it. The year is 2016, and after 27 years of quiet the murders have again started in Derry, Maine. But Derry has a habit of turning a blind eye to the atrocities committed in its town, save for town librarian Mike Hanlon, played by Isaiah Mustafa. He's the last remaining member of the Losers Club in Derry, and he has spent the past 27 years researching the monster that terrorized him and his friends back in 1989. When the killings start up again, he calls each of his old friends to make good on their oath to return to Derry and fight it again. Yet, all those who left town don't remember the monster or each other. Talking to Mike, the memories start to flood back for Eddie Kasparak, who grew up to be a risk assessor for an insurance company played by James Ransone. Richie Tozier, played by Bill Hader, took his wise, cracking mouth and became a famous stand-up comedian. Ben Haskum lost the excess weight and is now played by Jay Ryan. Ben is a hugely successful architect with a great vision for building. Beverly Marsh became a fashion designer, but she married a man who abuses her much like her father did. She is played by Jessica Chastain. And group leader Bill, played by James McAvoy, is a very successful novelist and screenwriter, but he doesn't know that he is universally considered to write bad endings to his stories. As for Stanley Urus, played briefly by Andy Bean, he's an accountant, and when he gets Mike's call, he slits his own wrists rather than face it again. The six survivors reunite in Dairy, and Mike tells them about the Ritual of Chud. Or Chud, they pronounce it both ways. Mm. A Native American rite which can trap it forever. To do this, each one needs to go find an artifact from their past. So each goes their separate ways and face off against it, who also kills kids sometimes in between taunting the adult losers. With the artifacts gained, Bill leads the charge back into the old house and underneath, where they fight Pennywise in all his mini-CGI forms. Also, Richie, Eddie, and Bill have personal revelations, I'm sure we'll discuss, while Bev and Ben fall in love, and Mike... Well, Mike's a fucking liar. (laughs) He didn't tell his friends that the last group who tried the ritual of Jude all died, killed by it. The ritual does not work. (laughs) So ballsy, really. (laughs) Pennywise starts to attack them all and has the upper hand, even skewing Eddie and killing him. The five remaining losers realize if they neg it, just erode its self-confidence It will get very small. They shout such insults as, You're only a clown! And it shrinks down to the size of a puppet. Did Bill write the ending to the script?
2: (laughs) I think he did. I can't wait to buy baby Pennywise toys.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, anybody want that? I'm sure there will be life-sized ones. Anyway, Mike reaches into Pennywise's chest, rips out its hearts, and all five crush it collectively, killing it for good. They then go back to the lake, where they swam as kids for one final dip, and to console Richie, who's distraught over Eddie's death. They go their separate ways again, Ben and Beverly staying together, and Bill claiming his new book won't have a shitty ending, but this movie does, as credits roll. Yeah, and as they start, we get a little bit of a fake-out. I was like, wait, Warner Brothers and DC
3: are presenting this movie? (laughs) Tell me Pennywise is not going to be in (laughs) joke.
1: I didn't even notice the DC logo. I'm taking my notes. I'm like, oh, they immediately brought back the IT score. Here's all the red balloons. It's a fake-out. It's the first official teaser for Birds of Prey. Or the Emancipation of One Harley Quinn as the subtitle. That's like, what's that? patience from a novel by oh uh, precious precious <laughs> with a very long subtitle but it's a uh, harley quinn and she's like i'm so fucking over clowns we might be over harley quinn is that still a thing i'm kind of over her
3: yeah this is starting to feel a little like tank girl but you know what i'll wait till <laughs> february maybe they can make this work but i didn't get a good sense from either crowd that they were really into this joke they wanted some scary clowns not her and what they get is Beverly floating in the deadlights. They take us back to September 1989 to remind us she had a vision of them as adults. And so she knew that they all would return to do this yet again.
2: They didn't call that out, though, in the first film. Like I think that is a revelation in this one is that she saw how they're all going to die. No, that
1: was in the
3: first it one. It was? Okay. Yeah, she
1: specifically said, we're our parents' age, and that's when they make the pact.
2: Okay, well, I'm glad they put this scene back in there because I did not remember that, even though we just watched it.
3: Yeah, I think more time is considered to like, what am I going to look like? And they underline it in a way they didn't in chapter one. I think these are all just cut scenes probably for when they filmed the original movie.
1: Yeah, that was a plan they had when they deleted some scenes. It's like, we'll hold this scene back for the next one. They didn't even bring in all the cut scenes they had from the first film, but they had bigger plans. But yeah, we replay their parting of ways... Yeah, does Bev know? Like, the way that she responds to Stan,
3: it's almost like she's withholding. Like... Oh, actually, in the future, I know that you're going to end up dead in a tub, but I'm going to just tell you you'll be tall.
2: Yeah, it feels that way. I think she
1: knows, because later she's going to be able to say she sees how all of them die. That was in an X-Files episode where Peter Doyle had that. He could tell Mulder he was going to die of autoerotic asphyxiation and things. And so that's her power from coming out of the deadlights, is she can
2: see how people will die. Yeah, not
3: only that, but if she saw them all in the cistern, she would note that Stan wouldn't be among them.
2: She even knows he died in the bathtub, she'll reveal. But, you know, I made a lot of jokes about how dumb the deadlights sound, but put it in the right context. Okay, deadlights, it's because she could see their future and when they're going to die. And that made it a little bit more okay to me.
1: Yeah, all added for the movie, but... Well, they improved. (laughs) It does help quite a bit. I know that the
3: childhood stuff is the best stuff, but I actually feel like this should be the only kid stuff we get. This should not be the movie where the kids try to take the spotlight. We should leave 1989 behind, and the rest of this movie should be where it jumps next, Dairy, 27 years later in 2016.
1: I'm torn. I mean, I agree that it would have been nicer if the adults had more focus at times, and instead of the adults' entire role for half the movie literally being pensive looks while we have flashbacks to things that didn't happen to those actors. Yeah, But- Also, I do like those kids. You also do want to have a sequel that ties to the original. I understand completely the instinct to bring them in. And while this movie is very long and I'm going to argue by the end could have at least a half an hour cut out of it. Easily. Some of it being the kids stuff. I like having the kids back. It's a nice feeling to see them back on the screen with Skarsgård again. But we open with a weird hate crime. Instead of Pennywise, we get a gay bashing. This is in the book. I've seen a lot of people being like, this is a needless, why are you putting this in here? But this is in the book, and yet... I have a problem with it in the book because it is completely outside of Pennywise's M.O. to go after an adult male.
2: Yes, this is my problem because you could say it's in the book. I don't care. This isn't the book. This is your chance to tell a more cohesive, tighter story and the only reason I could figure this is in here is so they could just underline the revelation that one of the losers is actually gay because they're going to have this victim show up as a ghost and just punctuate. This is his secret, guys, that he's gay. Pennywise goes after kids and he's. He's going to go after this 20-something-year-old victim now. It's weird. It doesn't fit his MO. You're right, Arnie.
3: Yeah. Not only is he eating adults, he's eating people not from dairy. Like, one of the guys was from dairy, but it wasn't Adrian. And this guy wasn't scared. This guy is actually going to stand up to the bullies. The whole idea that I don't bite in until they're at the point of petrification is just not true anymore.
1: Yeah, my only thinking is, is it like pizza delivery? A victim washes up, it is just waking up after 27 years, it's kind of (laughs) hungry, and the food is just coming to its doorstep, so while I prefer my veal, I'll have steak. I've got another theory.
3: In setting all of this up, we see that there is a carnival at Derry. Who would have thought small town America could throw such extravagance, but there are Ferris wheels,
2: fun houses. Especially Derry, because everyone feels so apathetic in that first film. I wouldn't see them getting together to put a carnival on.
3: Right. But we see Adrian and Don palling around laughing at the town mascot of a beaver, putting on the beaver hat, and they are approached by a kid who looks like he's been beaten himself, who has something going on with his mouth where he's been punched or something like that i look this up and i'm very weirded out by what this could mean but the actor who's playing this character chris unwin is a woman and not only that it is the betty ripsum from the first movie the girl that went missing in 1989 has been reborn as a male bully And homophobe in 2016. I take it to mean that all the kids that got snatched in the previous cycle, they'll call it an echo, end up coming back doing
2: Pennywise's work as his henchmen. I know that we're going to see that in this film. Henry Powers is going to come back. I I can't believe they redid that storyline from that TV show. And I know it's in the book. But again, that's not what Pennywise does. He just eats the kids. He seduces them. I guess he's caused explosions that took out hundreds of people one Easter. But it just doesn't feel like he's building an army. That's the way to go.
3: But I think that's what we're supposed to think. When I think about what it was about in its book, it was the idea of anything that scared you as a kid. It wasn't about a clown. It was about the idea on a primal level. Everything from the monster in your closet to the family member that sexually molests you all stems from this deep-seated darkness that has existed before mankind ever set up root here like it's just in the soil and it just keeps finding new ways to manifest like crops it just grows a new breed of bullies each time and that's what i get at least from this casting choice if no other moment is the idea that it takes 27 years for the evil to get a new season
1: And in the book, it does take on all those forms. But in the book and both movies, it likes being the clown for whatever reason. You know, when we have this gay bashing in the original novel, it's one of the first scenes of present day in that book. So it's almost the opening of the book. It's in a clown form when Adrian floats up to it. And the kid, the one who you're saying is played by the girl, was actually a reticent member of this gang. And he saw the clown, as did Don, Adrian's boyfriend. They both saw the clown, and the other three went to jail for murder because they obviously weren't going to go on the stand and say, oh, there was a clown that helped the gay bashers.
3: Yeah, and we're going to see this Chris again. It's pointed out the fact that he really covets the beaver hat, and there is a child leading the later child, Dean, into the funhouse wearing that beaver hat. I think it's Chris again. I think that there is probably mostly on the cutting room floor, this idea that Pennywise now has minions born of the children he killed in eight in 89.
1: Or it takes on the form of the children to lure, you know, here I had that idea of it coming out, but we'll see it does take on the form of Georgie and things. It is a shapeshifter, So maybe this is it hiding in plain sight in public and it, help rile up the people to push Adrian off the bridge so that it could then run down and catch him and eat him.
2: <laughs> that is a lot of work. The cleaner way to go is if you want Pennywise to have an army of undead in this film, make it that he was seriously wounded from that fight 27 years ago. He's not as strong, and so he's got to use these other people or else cut this stuff. Just make it about the scary other dimensional being.
3: There's a lot of ideas in the book. They're not consolidated. And now that you're telling the concluding chapter in a movie any adapter would want to say clearly what they interpret these things to mean
1: and they had clear ideas in the writer's room but i think a lot of it they intentionally did leave vague and up to reader interpretation and we're going to get to some of that especially at the end of the book but this gay bashing is really Only in this movie because Mike is living in the attic of the library with a police scanner waiting every night, I guess hearing about every domestic abuse, every petty theft, waiting for this call of dismemberment under a bridge and he goes out in the night to investigate.
3: And this is where I'm going to really ding Mike. If Mike never forgot and Mike has done all this research, he should damn well know 27 years have passed. He should know before a killing has happened. Well, it's time for the clown to wake up. I'm going to call before blood is drawn. Yeah, why hasn't he gone down and
2: into that cave and researched things before the 27-year mark when Pennywise is, I guess, just sleeping or something?
1: Yeah, I actually liked that in the first movie where Mike became suicidal and went down to the cave and he found those silver earrings that they used as the rocks in the slingshot so that he had those again. Here, Mike is played by a football player and, as I mentioned, the Old Spice guy. Is it really that guy? Yeah. Wow. Wow.
3: It doesn't look the same here, but okay.
1: (laughs) And I feel like he's given the short shrift in this movie just like he is in the book,
2: just like he is in the last movie. Get rid of this character is what I say and I hold to that this time too.
1: I did read a comment online that I didn't like it, but yet it's true. The black character's only there to call the white characters in to save the town and then he does nothing else.
3: Yeah, at least they don't kill him to bring the white characters here. But I do feel like that would be cleaner. If someone didn't leave Derry and the clown came back and killed them in this opening, rather than some random gay bashing attack it would give the reason for everyone to come back for a funeral and thus they could start remembering
1: why does pennywise want them back mike goes under the bridge and they're written in blood come home come home come home it does say later on i've missed you i've dreamt of you it wants revenge i guess so it's goading mike to bring back the adults even though Never really went for adults before, but we're in modern day. Everybody's growing up. He's going to eat some adults as well as kids.
2: I read it as a revenge thing, and this is not his M.O., but because this is the first group that ever, I'm guessing, stood up to, oh, find out some Native Americans tried to take him down a few hundred years ago. But yeah, he wants his revenge.
3: Look, this is just badly set up by King in the novel. The problems that we're having here are systemic to the literature itself. It was so much better in Salem's Lot. An author comes home and he finds out the place where he grew up that seems so wholesome in childhood is actually full of vampires. And he has to stake them all in order to get free. It's the same story, except this time we have seven of those characters instead of one. And so it just creates this gargantuan, larger-than-it-needs-to-be redemption story.
1: In the book... Not every character got their due fully. So here, they really do try to embellish the adult characters so that everybody does have their own arc with the possible exception of Mike. I guess Mike's arc is eventually he will leave Dairy, but that's as far as it goes. He should feel lucky that he gets to keep his
3: shirt on and not put on deodorant. <laughs> you know, like, that's it. You're, you're a model. And so, like, you get to act. And that's your happy ending here. But yes, if you're hiring actors, adults are not going to come in to do nothing roles. I am going to have an arc and you will write something for me. I'm going to call it out right now. Many of these adult actors do not fit the mold of the child that they sprang from. I don't feel like many of these people capture what I liked about the children.
1: I agree completely. And it's funny. There's a very funny video on Yahoo. Yes, that site's still in existence. And I went there doing some research. Talk about blasts from the past. (laughs) They talked to the young actors and apparently their acting coach told them, Hey, well we're getting started for this, why don't you write a letter to the actor who's playing you as an adult, but write it in character of what you think you would be like as an adult, and send a photo. And then you cut to the interview with the adult actors, and they're like, Bill Hader, yeah, I, I can't have a framed photo of a boy that's not related to me in my house. That's just <laughs> creepy. And they're like, did you write back? James McAvoy's like, no, I didn't write him back. Well, I'm an adult. I don't have time for this shit. <laughs> But I think, had they actually spent time together, it might have helped because McAvoy's going to be our first introduction. I do not see young Bill in no. McAvoy at all. I don't know where Bill came up with a Brooklyn accent to disguise his Scottish <laughs> accent. And I think that the young kid did a much better fake stutter than McAvoy. I was wishing McAvoy would have pulled out one of his personas from Split here, because it almost feels with that accent like he did.
2: <laughs> There's a couple adults that I think are well cast, but James McAvoy, look, I like him in, the, in most things he does, but it does not feel like Bill to me. Agreed. It's not just the stutter, it's the voice. It is the fact that he doesn't
3: feel like he comes from Maine, doesn't really look like the kid. And here they set up a whole backstory that I don't feel like ends up mattering. That he is on the set of this movie adaptation of one of his books, The Attic Room and he's finding out that the actress, which is also his wife, and the director, which is Peter Bogdanovich? Someone explained to me why 40 years past making Last Picture Show, <laughs> this guy is given a Warner Brothers horror movie to direct. I do not understand this
1: at all. I do love it, though. I mean, I had to look him up, because I knew that would be somebody, and other than Last Picture Show, the only thing I've seen of his is Noises Off, the John Ritter like stage play movie.
3: Paper Moon was another hit, but again, a guy from the 70s who made nostalgic films who made films about the past in the 70s doesn't seem like a great get but they both hate the way that he writes his endings and I am dancing in my seat when I
2: hear this yes I thought of you Stuart because you complain about the ending
3: Muschietti is finally saying we are free to do whatever we want with this material we are not going to follow this movie into the sewer to deliver the same anticlimactic ending
1: Yeah, and I I mean, I've said it in so many of these podcasts that King can't stick the ending, and here, they're just saying it outright. I feel like my thunder's kind of stolen for all my future books and nachos. Everybody's gonna be like, oh, you just took that from it, chapter 2, but listen (laughs) to the ones I did before. I said he has problems with endings, and I also wish they hadn't brought it up so much because I just liked it as this little jab at King, as well as an admission that we're not going to make those mistakes. Mentioned here as a winking aside that we're going to change the ending instead of even having King himself
2: show up later on in a cameo and be like, I didn't like the ending. Well, yeah, obviously King knows the joke in here. But I saw him before I saw the movie, like the day it came out Thursday or Friday on Twitter, King made some joke about some critic who said all his endings suck. And he came up with a really bad ending that he said, here's my good ending. He wakes up and it's all a dream. And so I was kind of shocked that, oh, I guess I was a little bit of viral marketing because he knew this joke was coming up in the movie. So his idea of a good ending is to rip off Newhart? Well, I think he was joking because that's the worst ending.
3: (laughs) Well, here's what it ends up meaning, because what Bogdanovich says is we got to do better. And I'm like, yes, I'm so with this movie. And I want to say that for the first half hour of this movie, it is fleet. It is well-structured. And I am totally sucked back into this. Even though I'm having these problems with the actors not feeling right, the mood is right. And I'm confident that they're going to change something. But what Bill really says is that the studio wants a happy ending and no one's satisfied that he makes endings that are sad and Perhaps not commercial. So it will be for him and for Muschietti to come up with some
1: cornball sentimentality that gives us a great ending. Again, I'm just going to be glad... That at no point in this movie did mushetti show us a space turtle with an upset stomach <laughs> vomiting out our universe. Really? Because I wanted a gangbang with a turtle by the
3: end of it <laughs> rather than the ending we got. I mean like bring it on Triple X. I'd rather see that than what we see in the final moments of this film that are so awful I still am just gasping at how they turn suicide into a happy ending.
2: Oh oh man. Fuck oh. them.
3: But anyway I'll save that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> save it save it. We're a
3: ways away. The one reason i think they might have done bogdanovich other than the director might have known him and he was free to do it bogdanovich has a story in his past he has his own sharon tate if you were he had a leading lady he was making a movie with dorothy stratton who was murdered violently by her ex-boyfriend if you want to know that story it's the subject matter of bob fossey's film star 80 It's very sad. It kind of ruined his career. I mean, he ruined it himself with some bad choices, but I don't think he ever recovered from it. What I think they're telling me by having him in this moment next to Bill's wife is that Audra is fated to die and that this leading lady will be important to the story.
1: It is a fake out. They will not do anything that the TV movie did with Audra. Which was in the book again. What they did with it was mostly in the book. What I noticed with Audra is... I briefly thought it was Jessica Chastain. The red hair. I think they're saying that Bill grew up to marry a clone of Beverly. Oh, good call. You're
3: right. They will downplay the love triangle in this. They will end up making Bill rather nonchalant that this childhood crush of his will go off with the other guy. But I think you're right. Maybe in different drafts or in a longer cut of this movie, God forbid, we would see that, yes, he had been pining for Bev in the same way that Ben was pining for Bev.
1: Yeah, that's something very different different from when they had Olivia Hussey in the last movie, but I did think that with the introduction of the wife, I thought for sure they'd keep that ending or bring her into the story, make her matter to the story because it's kind of like in Return of the Jedi with Leia and Luke, oh, I'm your brother. We can't have a relationship. That Bill actually loves his wife and goes to save his wife is so much a better reason for him to lead a crazy charge in it than what we get (laughs) in this movie. I wish they'd kept Audra around a little more.
2: Yeah, I think they want to keep it about Bill and Georgie. I was expecting, though, the wife to show up too because, well, I saw that second half of the TV movie, finally. And I was shocked. I'm like, oh, so we're just going to hit all those beats again. I am thankful that this scene with Bill, I think this is the longest backstory for the adults we'll see because then we get some very quick cutting as all the other characters are notified about Pennywise returning.
3: Yeah, we next get Eddie. He is popping pills and driving erratically through New York traffic, talking to his overweight, overprotective wife, Myra. (laughs) Uh,
2: Yeah, I did laugh. He married his mom. It's very Freud. I mean, they're going to call it out. He's going to say, I love you, mom. So is it because he moved away from Dairy that he forgot he was on placebos and he's a hypochondriac again?
1: Yeah, everyone who moved away from Dairy because of its magic or the magic that it puts on the town to make people look the other way. If you leave Dairy, you just forget everything that really happened to you in Derry. And so, yeah, he's still taking all those medicines. Even if he knew his mom had him on placebos, that doesn't mean you can just shirk it off and never start taking them again. But it does undermine Jack Dylan Grazer's, their gazebo's revelation where it felt like he had escaped his mother's Munchausen syndrome. And now here he is. He married his mother. I wish they hadn't done the I love you mommy line. (laughs) Yes, it makes it obvious. Let us
2: figure some of that out, you know?
3: And it is the same actor. They put a blonde hair on her, but it is the very same actress that plays Sophia that plays Myra.
2: And I don't know who this actor is playing Eddie James Ransom. But he had the look, you know, thinking about that TV movie, like, oh, Seth Green grew up to be Harry Anderson? No, that doesn't make sense. But I'm like, this one, he looked like a grown-up, Eddie.
1: Ransone has different faces. And sometimes I think he looks like Jack Dylan Grazer, and sometimes I think he actually ends up looking more like Steve Carell, just because of the shape of his face. Yeah, I got that image
2: a few times.
1: Ransone, I've liked him. We reviewed him in the Sinister films. He was the only character to carry over. He was kind. Of the humorous deputy He's just a funny guy Oh okay yes yeah, he usually plays comic relief in dramatic
3: circumstance, so that fits here. But I've seen him a lot in TV roles, and that tends to be where you stick a character actor. That's what he is. He's not a leading man, but here he's going to be asked to share. You're right. This is probably the first time and maybe only time he's ever been top billed the top of the poster here.
1: Well, I think he was with Sinister 2 as well. Was he that important? <laughs> well, he was the returning <laughs> character, yeah. So I, he wasn't the main character. No. The third we get is Richie, though, and adult Richie, Bill Hader. I like Bill Hader on SNL. I was a little bit concerned that this widely comedic actor, who we most recently reviewed in Angry Birds 2, (laughs) was going to be coming into this horror film. But you told me you saw the movie he did with Kristen Wiig, the Skeleton Twins, that was dramatic. So you're appreciation of him from that gave me hope, and I think he's my favorite adult in here.
2: I would also say go watch Barry with HBO series where he plays a hitman that wants to become an actor in L.A. He does drama. He does humor. Great cast. Steven Root, Henry Winkler. But I'm not an SNL guy, so I know he does that stuff. And it always just seems he shows up for a scene in a movie. And he always kind of steals that scene. So I was excited to see him here. So if we went to watch Barry. He's great in that. He won the Emmy for Best Actor for that show. So, yeah, I think Bill Hader, I think he kind of steals this movie. He overshadows Bill.
3: Gong. Yeah. As soon as he arrives in that Chinese restaurant and slams that gong, he is announcing, by the way, whatever you were hoping to see, clown, Bill and Bev and Ben get together, all of that, none of it will matter. I am now going to do my dramatic interpretation of Ghostbusters 3. And that is what we end up watching for the rest of this movie. He not only steals this movie, he changes this movie. This was a horror movie that because Muschietti can't direct him
1: becomes a horror comedy. Here was my question about that, honestly. There's a lot of jokes in this movie with and without Bill Hader. Yeah, they're not all with Bill Hader. I feel like this is a director's choice, not because of Bill. Well, what my question is, did Bill Hader shape this movie by being a comedian who came into a horror film? Yes. Or did Bill Hader save this movie by <laughs> actually being funny in a movie full of bad jokes?
3: Yeah, I think my interpretation is Bill Hader said, yeah, I would love to do this movie. I've never been offered something this big. Paycheck was probably decent, too. And then when he saw what he had to play against, the only thing he could think of was to play it funny. And of course, Richie is a sarcastic character who has used humor to disguise a secret. Now, I never picked this up in chapter one. I had no idea about a latent gay side. But they tell us right here from the opening, he's vomiting on the fire escape before walking on to do stand-up bit. What's his first joke? My girlfriend caught me jacking off to a friend of hers Facebook page. Fails to mention, this is probably a true story where the Facebook page was a man.
1: This wasn't in the book, In the book, first of all, everybody has sex with Beverly. Second of all, he has a string of failed relationships because of his scarring from Derry, but I didn't see it. I'm going to rewatch chapter one and see if there's any hints. I feel, though, that they got together for part two and are like, well, Richie's an underserved character, what can we give him? Let's start with a gay bashing and then make him gay. The fact that he is so closeted... First of all, he works in Hollywood. Second of all, he's there with all his friends from so long ago. Maybe I'm naive, but I think in 2016, it's perfectly fine to be like, hey, guys, I like dudes. Yes. (laughs) I'm not going to out
3: anyone, but I know of actors in Hollywood that do this. I know very well there are some pretty famous people that will not come out of that closet.
2: There might be some with a macho image where that could hurt them from getting action movies, maybe. But Bill Hader, like a comedian, I don't see that as, yeah, someone that needs to stay closeted. But you know what? Everyone has their own journey.
3: Not only that, but those people that I'm referring to have their own secret life. It's not like they've been celibate, not explored the homosexual side of themselves. They do, and then they just don't talk about it. I think we're supposed to pick up from Richie that he hasn't even been able to face it which is strange. In 2016, I feel like all areas of America, at least, has become aware and
1: woke to gay life. Now, you say you think this story about the girlfriend masturbating to the Facebook page is true. Keep in mind, he's going to say later, I don't write my own material. Mm -hmm. So what you would be taking here is that he had a girlfriend. That could be his writer who had a girlfriend and was jacking off to a Facebook friend, male, female, whatever. But Richie says the jokes. He doesn't write the jokes. So anything he says on stage, I got to be suspect of. Right. And hater again, just to be clear, I liked
3: him. I didn't expect him to be as funny as he's going to be in this film. I expected him to have some dramatic pathos and I think he handles it well but I think he and Eddie will end up taking this movie far away from the film that I remembered in chapter one.
2: Just watching Bill Hader and in interviews and whatnot, there's a video of him talking about anxiety. I mean, he had a panic attack on live television on SNL. He seemed like a pretty humble guy. I don't see him as someone coming in and just taking over the production. And like, this is the direction where she go. Maybe Machete saw him joking around and thought, Oh, that's great. Let's do that on camera. But I don't see him as coming in and taking over the direction of the film.
3: And yeah, by saying taking away, I don't mean bullying. I don't mean ripping up the script and saying, I'm going to do it my way. I'm saying that he logically interpreted the character as he best could conceive
1: it and Machete let him because he didn't give him better direction. I read several interviews with Dauberman, the writer, and somebody said, were you afraid of Bill Hader completely changing your lines? And he's like, no, I love that Bill Hader likes to improv and everything Hader did that we put in the movie is better than I wrote. Now, a lot of the jokes he said were in the script, but also a lot of the jokes he said weren't. And one that I'll talk about later, he came up with and is like, I have to say this line because otherwise it's not a great scene, but I'll put it out there. With the exception of one scene, I love every scene with Bill Hader in this. He is, to this film, what Skarsgård was for me to the last film.
3: And that will change the film. Suddenly a movie about childhood trauma is going to become Ghostbusters 3, is all that I'm really saying here. And so we will move on to a character that was very central in the TV movie, very central in the book, and I barely pay attention to, in chapter two, Ben. (laughs) We think it's the fat guy in
1: the boardroom, but that's actually
3: the child actor from the TV
1: movie. Yeah, I noticed him immediately. I'm writing down, like, wait, did they not go in the book story where he lost all the weight? He's going to be chunky and balding? And the face looked familiar, like... Wait, that's nineteen ninety Ben getting his SAG
2: card here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, then they cut over to Skype and we'll see the real Ben.
1: <laughs> yeah.
3: Who all right, I get it. Sometimes people dramatically change and they don't look like they did as kids
1: and all Hey, go look up Chunk from Goonies.
2: Okay, I I he lost all the weight. And his hair.
1: He did lose the weight. He did lose his hair. But he still looks like Chunk in the face, okay? I've seen him. He (laughs) still has that smile. He still has the twinkle in the eye, even though he's a lawyer, and lawyer's twinkle usually means scheme. But here is it even the
2: same race <laughs> this is a new zealander this is a kiwi that th- the same race i mean was the kid actor like hispanic <laughs> well that's what i'm saying is i mean they're all caucasian i mean you're making it very dramatic no
1: kiwi have a darker skin tone and tend to have darker hair darker mm, features
2: i lived in new zealand that is not true <laughs> They have a mixed populace, mm-hmm. you know. I, you, I mean, yes. If he has some Polynesian mixing in him, then maybe he'll be darker.
1: They're going to call him every Brazilian soccer player rolled into one. And I thought the actor might actually be Brazilian. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, yeah, that is the thing. Like every once in a while, he'd do like a little half smirk. I'm like, oh, okay, I, I could tell he studied the facial expressions of the child actor. But this is as jarring as John Ritter showing up as adult Ben <laughs> in that TV series. You put the kid and the adult next to each other. I don't see them forming into that person.
3: Yeah, and he's not developed either. What we learn here is he's just a genius architect who's so sad and alone.
2: Yeah, he's always like standing in the corner sulking.
3: He still keeps the yearbook page in his wallet and despite all of his money and coolness no one is around in his life at all. Show me the ultra successful person that doesn't have a fleet of assistants and just people milling in and out of their doors, but he is portrayed here as being completely alone in a ginormous house, Skyping into to his business,
1: Yeah, it's metaphorical. He's still alone. But this actor is the worst thing about this movie. I looked him up. He really hasn't done a lot of acting. I'm guessing he's a model. His biggest role is that he was the Beast in the Beauty and the Beast TV series for a few years on The CW. I thought that was Ron Perlman.
3: Yeah, yeah. You're talking about the new one. Uh-huh.
1: Whatever that is. Oh, they did another one? <laughs> like I said, on The CW, not on CBS, but... This guy is wrong for Ben. Lose the weight, whatever, but this guy just has a totally different shape, a different attitude... And I don't think he's able to act very well. At no point in this movie do I care about Ben. And it doesn't seem like the writers do either. A lot of times Ben's like, I'm going to go do this and disappears.
2: Yeah, his role is to walk out of a darkened corner and say some line and then step back into that darkened corner.
3: It's just confusing just as a read. I'm like, he's not the gay one. He had the pictures of Kirk Cameron and new kids on the block. Yeah, like is now a celibate and works out too much and all, but he's straight and just pining for Bev all of this time, not only did they need to consolidate characters, they needed to ask questions about these characters and if they made sense.
1: And for Ben, they added this, that he kept that yearbook page all these years in his wallet. How much does he remember? He has to remember something if he's got the damn yearbook page. Yeah, he hasn't
3: forgotten her, but he doesn't remember the fight. He doesn't remember what brought them together. And this movie won't either, because they're (laughs) going to
1: change things when they go back. But I'll hold that. Meanwhile, Stan gets a call. We get a weird transition to this scene, too. We, like, pan up from Ben's apartment to the stars, and some of the stars are brown, and we zoom in on them. I love the opening tracking shot in the first film, where we got introduced to half of our losers. Here, this felt needlessly over-exaggerated, and if you're drawing attention to yourself like this, the stars are
2: puzzle pieces, and
1: we're going to zoom through the puzzle pieces, and there's Stan.
2: And it's not a style that goes throughout the film. It's got to mean something.
1: Yeah, it doesn't mean anything. Unless you look at it as putting a puzzle together, and each of these losers is a piece of the puzzle, and the puzzle will never have
2: all its pieces. Yeah, that's a dumb metaphor. It's simple.
1: <laughs> yeah,
3: remember last time how I said Muschietti was a great technician whose instincts were wrong 30% of the time? I'm gonna change that <laughs> ratio. 60? Yeah, I think it's flipped. I actually think in this movie, a lot of times he's showy for no good reason, and it's to disguise a, an inadequate script.
1: And I really credited in our last review, to the cinematographer Chung Hoon Chung. Yeah, he's a Korean he works with a really good Korean director yeah he did part one and I credit him with a lot of that style because here I can't tell if Muschietti has a arrogance coming off the success of part one where he's like "All right, now I'm going to do this and this and this and I have twice the money and I'm going to do this Mm -hmm. or if in the first one Chung was like hey why don't we try this angle why don't we try that angle again Chung did Zombieland 2 I have a feeling that's going to have a better look than it chapter 2
3: This movie looks fine. My complaint is it doesn't tie. It's just another way in which this doesn't feel like the experience of chapter one. I mean, I had to go back and look. I'm like, are these the same people making it? Because I can't believe (laughs) this comes from the same people.
1: Well, that's where I'm at. Is like the color palette is so obvious in some of these scenes. Oh, these are good memories. Make everything brown and warm. Like they're literally going to transition from cold blues when Pennywise shows up to red browns when he's gone. It's so obvious and... It honestly feels a little amateur, like it's pounding me over the head, and so that's why I feel it looks fine, it's in focus, it has good lighting, I like some of the shots, but when it does stuff like this and some of the color palette changes, it's just hitting me over the head.
3: Yeah, the movie's not subtle, and- What we get in this scene, why I like the Stan scene, is we finally hear the substance of the phone conversation. We know Mike's been calling, and we've seen people freak out and look at the scars on their palm, but we don't really know what's being said, and now it's underlined clearly. It is coming back, and the expectation is you're going to drop whatever you're doing. Your wife and you are supposed to go vacation in Buenos Aires? Nope. Tomorrow, you show up in Derry, and he's not telling them you're going to fight an evil clown, but Stan remembers
2: I think he's forgotten, repressed. His face was almost bit off, so he might have some fresher memories. Unlike the others who don't remember Pennywise
1: yet, he does. And that's why he does what he does. Wouldn't it be nice, though, if they'd maybe faked us out and gotten a real big name actor to... Be in this part so that if you don't know the book and things, you'd be surprised that they write him out so quickly. Instead of Andy Bean, who I looked him up and he, I guess he was in the Swamp Thing series that people like, I didn't watch. We reviewed him in a minor role in Transformers The Last Night
3: yeah the fact that he is not on the caliber of all the other actors all of them really even the old spice guy telegraphs again i don't know how many people don't know the story at this point i have a feeling the book having been read and already made people know this surprise is coming
1: yeah but i mean in the last one they had richard Mazur who you know was on caliber with everybody else in that film
3: yeah but that was a different caliber <laughs> I'm not looking for a big surprise at this moment. It's fine. Whoever can figure out, that's fine.
2: And it does feel like they're speeding through all this because they know we know this stuff. So, yeah, let's get to the new stuff.
3: Yeah, flashy camera transitions aside, the fact that as he slit his wrist, the droplets of blood will fall on Beth's face while she's lying in bed, all that stuff. It's arty. It can go either way for me. It does seem a little amateur trying too hard. I think Arnie's got the right word for it. But I appreciate that Machete is keeping it moving. And that was his skill in the last one. That is his skill at the beginning of this movie as well.
1: Here in this opening, it is moving so fleet. I'm really enjoying this. We get to Beverly. We see her backstory. The blood did confuse me, but she was psychic and she knew how he died. So maybe she was dreaming about his death. She's got the shining Mm -hmm. and she's also going to drop her fashion design stuff and go immediately. But Tom, I thought they were going to go a different way with Tom because he's like, oh, yeah, I trust you completely. Go off. But then, no, it's going to be the same story. She married her father, who's going to beat her and then punch her hard in the face and then start to unzip his zipper. He's getting turned on by this.
3: Yeah, they don't follow through on this. Bev, more than maybe any other character, while having literally escaped Derry, is still living the same nightmare trauma of Derry. She left one bad guy only to find herself beaten by another bad guy. And the point of Pennywise, you would think in modern day, would to be using that against her. The fact that Tom will not come to Derry and fight her in the climax of this film feels like a decision to excise I don't agree with.
2: Yeah, I feel like a lot of their backstories never come back to fruition. Like, they don't address their demons. I mean, they'll address a, a demonic clown, but not what has affected their life. And it muddies things because... It seems like her dad was going to be bad no matter what. Eddie's mom, she had that Munchausen syndrome. I don't relate those things necessarily to Pennywise. So is this just about your screwed up parents or is this about a clown screwing up your life? I think you should relate it to Pennywise.
3: If you're really focusing the ideas of the book, it's that the town of Derry is corrupt because at the very core of it, if you were to dig into the foundation all the way to the center of the earth, you would find that this same evil infects everyone that lives there. And so that's the way to think of it. Not a clown. Mike will use the word virus later, an infection. That's really what he does. If you hang out in that town, you will develop small-town evil,
1: and it's hard to escape that. And making Tom this villainous, he beats her with a belt, again... There's some brutal hits in the opening of this movie. The beating of Adrian at the start has some punches that just are like, oh, I I wince when some of those punches land. They're really selling me on violence. Human on human violence is scarier than than anything. Clown on human in this movie. I'll put right out. (laughs) And then when Tom punches Beverly so hard in the face, I'm wincing again. Tom, if you're going to make him this evil, he needs more than a picture frame smashed on his head as comeuppance. He needs to be killed by it. And no, just like Audra, he's going to be left out. And the writer said, you got to cut some characters. We're doing a movie. We don't want it to be four hours long. We have to cut some characters down. But they made some of the wrong choices.
2: Then you cut this whole scene and you can have Bev give a line later on how she's had a series of of abusive relationships. If it doesn't really matter and the, the point is that she's never escaped how her father treated her, you don't, I don't know, at this point it's like an exploitation movie. It's just, hey, you want to see a woman beat up?
3: No, what I would argue the characters you cut are the children. We already saw that story. We don't need an hour of reminding about what they did. And so you don't need to do that again. You need to focus on who these people are now and how Pennywise is still getting at them through these various agents, through the new wives and husbands.
1: I have a fix that I really came to during this movie. Cut Henry Bowers, who's the next person we're introduced to. Oh, he
2: should not be in this movie.
1: Make Tom the Henry Bowers of this film. Tom comes after Beverly and becomes its disciple or servant. I guessed it last time when we Henry. Fell down that thing. I'm like, well, they brought the kids back. So we could see a scene of him landing and being okay, landing in some water. That's exactly what they do. They, again, have a weird transition. Bev's leaving her husband. It's raining. We follow the rain into the sewers. It becomes a flood. And without any transition, we've jumped space and time. We're back in 1989. Derry and Henry has just fallen down that well. Yeah, he's
2: washed out with all the dead kids. And is walking back
1: home, gets arrested. I feel like that needed to be underlined.
3: The millennials I was with the second time literally didn't even remember and and what's going to happen here. We do remember that there was a bully with a knife But having more of this explained, it took me a second viewing to realize when he walks back to his home and the cops pull him down and arrest him, he's saying, I'm not done yet. I've got to kill them all. And so that's why they're going to pin the murder of all the children on him is because they take that as a confession that he did all the missing kids.
2: Yeah. If I had not seen that TV miniseries, I wouldn't have realized that he had gone to jail for killing all those kids. I mean, I I feel like the cops are there because he killed his dad. And I'm like, oh, yeah, but he did admit or Pennywise made him admit something that he killed all these children. That's why he got locked up. But it's not
1: clear in this movie. No, it's clear he got locked up for murder. But whether or not they pinned the kid's murder or just his own dad murder on him, he doesn't go to jail. He goes to a mental institution. I mean,
2: he's obviously found insane and rightly so. And again, I don't know who this adult actor is, but he's got that look like I, I buy this as Henry Bowers. 27 years later, still got the mullet.
3: Yeah, I think this is a good scene. Like when he sees that balloon, the way it was floating above him when he was arrested 27 years later, he's so excited because he knows it's an invitation at last. You finally need me. At last, I finally get to kill them all. Again, we should have spent more time with Bowers. I really feel like he's as important. And you're right, Arnie. Maybe it's not Bowers. Maybe it is Tom. Or or maybe you find a way to bring all these people in and you find that room by cutting out the needless return to 1989. I don't know, but I do feel like I want to understand the human villains in this movie more than we do.
1: I I just think Bowers is set up here to be a major part of this movie. Yes. And he is not a part of this movie. These are his biggest scenes. We jump to the present. He's in the sanitarium seeing the balloon. And then he gets put in his room. There's a balloon under his bed. He pulls it and pulls it. It pops, and a woman behind me shrieks. I had a screamer in my film, and it let me know every time something scary happened. I was thinking to you, Jacob, this is a jump scare. This is definitely a jump scare when the balloon pops and the zombie
2: comes out. Yeah, I. you know what? I. I did a lot of convincing. That's why I got my wife to really enjoy Bill Hader so I could get her to go with me. And she was still scared. She's like, those trailers look scary again. I'm like, even though you didn't find the first one, she's like, but it looks like they might scare me this time. I So I, I was able to measure like when she actually jumped. She only jumped twice, and it was not at this balloon scene. And I'll say the crowd reaction, no screams, but lots of laughs. Yeah, I, I
3: feel like it works. I think Machete still has some of his gifts for these moments. I think there's a few times. This is one of them. But it again, it Begged the question immediately the people next to me turned to me and were like who is that again and i had to be like oh remember the other bully that went into
1: they're like oh kind of
3: yeah
2: i remembered it when they show it to us yeah they
1: show us the scene with the lighter and the aerosol so i i wouldn't have gotten that that corpse was it and i know henry says hockstetter but i wouldn't have put that together if they hadn't put that scene there of the actor in part one with the aerosol no, it's it should we shouldn't need Hawk Center. It should be a
3: relationship between Primal Evil, which, all right, let's make it a clown, and all of his minions. That to me is clean to have these other zombies that are kind of coming in and out.
1: I think it's it. I think it's Pennywise taking on a form that Bowers would appreciate, you know, because there is a physical thing there. Bowers gets a real knife, and when he kills a guard and escapes the sanitarium. The fence is cut for him. He can just walk right out and right to this car that is being driven. I got to think that that's Pennywise.
2: Well, then you got to have some kind of reveal. Like he turns towards the camera. He's got a clown nose or something. You like if, if that is your point, then make it explicit.
3: And that was a source of contention I remember for me in The Shining. I remember there's a scene where Wendy has thrown Jack in the freezer. And I'm like, this is a psychological drama about a man that has gone cabin fever crazy and now wants to kill his family, but somebody let him out. And you can't have a psychological interpretation because some ghost had to undo that lock you have to believe in the supernatural and here is, yeah, in my mind, makes it too easy for this guy to escape, to magically give him the knife, to magically cut the fence, to magically have a Trans Am that will take him down to Derry. All of that feels not good and not psychologically set up. I would have preferred if the character had figured out his own way to bust out, but it's a magic clown and it'll do what it needs. Hey,
2: we we don't get a bad dog head Pennywise at least.
3: Yeah, we get a guard looking at a dog on (laughs) his phone. I think that was a joke on the TV movie that there's some dog like working on a laptop, which is, you know, what, half the videos on YouTube these days.
2: Because usually that's cats. Like that is the territory of cats on YouTube to play keyboards and computers. You never see dogs doing it. So it feels like it's got to be a reference.
1: There definitely will be some references we'll talk about to the 90 movie. And... I mentioned last time I felt like sometimes Mushetti was in the shadow of that movie and I, you know, we reviewed it, so I didn't understand why he felt beholden to it. But in an interview, Doberman did say that he he refused to go back, but he remembered being scared by it as a child and he knew people held it in esteem. He didn't want to go back and ruin his memories of it, but some of the stuff from it. They felt they had to include, which is, again, why I think they gave Skarsgård
2: such a big forehead, is to make him look more <laughs> like the Curry clown. And I got to say, when we do see him at, at that beginning scene and throughout the film, it looks like the makeup is cracking again. I'm wondering, is this a weakened Pennywise because he was defeated 27 years ago? Is that why he's building a undead army? I So many questions.
3: I feel like we need to see him working in the present more. What we will be told by Mike once they get to this Chinese restaurant is that Pennywise's time is drawing nigh. Like the cycle is almost over. That motherfucker took a school year (laughs) to do what he did in the
2: 80s. Mike's really bad at investigations. It's taken um, him 11 months to figure it out.
3: Yeah, a school year and now in the course of one week... Adrian was thrown off the bridge one week ago and now this clown is about to pack up and if they don't kill him this time, Beverly's visions about their deaths will come true before they turn 80.
1: Now, I didn't read it as it was almost done. I took it as it was about to reach its apex. Yeah, we're saying the same thing. No, but I'm saying that the killings are just about to start with the time drawing nigh. not he's about to hibernate again. He's only done a couple killings.
3: No, I took it very much as he's about to go into hibernation and if they don't get him, they're fated to live out Beverly's vision.
1: I took it as they need to get him to save the children, and if they don't, they're also going to What children? Again,
3: there's only going to be two of them here. It would have been something if we did see the same patterns of behavior. We're going to see little Vicky get lured away by a firefly, and she is not going to be floating in the cistern at the end of this movie. He's not collecting kids or even (laughs) trying to scare them. She is not scared of him. Uh, She knows that when she is scared of him to get away. You should have been happy. This is how you wanted Georgie to react. Oh, it's a much smarter predator attack. Yeah, I, I do think this is a very 2016 attack.
2: And this should have been the opening scene. Again, I, I'm i not asking for a high art here. Mirror what you did last time. You had that Georgie is the opening scene. That's a good grabber for a horror film. Have... Again, you want to do some kind of commentary on sexual orientation that, okay, I don't think it fits in this film. This is a better opener with Vicky. Meeting Pennywise under the bleachers and thinking, you know, she's got a disfigurement on her face and that's how she relates to him and she gets it, of course.
1: Yeah, I appreciate this scene. I complained about some of the... Art direction in this film, but I love it when Pennywise is only illuminated by that small light in his hands, you know, which I think is the deadlight growing bigger as he feeds more. But, you know, she thinks it's the firefly. You just see him cast in this yellow light hiding in the shadows. I like this scene. Why is it in this movie? I kind of think it goes back to what I said about Revenge of the Sith, where you got to pace it like a porno. Every 15, 20 minutes, we got to have a scare, and we've had a lot of dialogue right now. So let's throw this in completely unmotivated like the Wookiees on Kashyyyk in episode three and
2: put in a kill for a kill's sake. This is what Pennywise does and I you don't see him doing this a whole lot and I feel like yeah throw this at the beginning this we saw a, a child's death in that TV series that's what tipped off Mike make it this because this screams pennywise not a, a gay bashing
3: yeah I agree with you this is this I could feel the audience come alive both times in this moment we had kind of gotten in a lull of like all right they got to set everything up and now time to knock down some pins time to get to some killing. This is why we are here. We're here to see Pennywise do his trick. And yeah, he's better at it this time. Uh, Unlike Georgie, who's going to spend five minutes talking to somebody that's in a sewer drain. Here's a girl (laughs) that's going to follow a firefly under the bleachers and then go, you're not my friend. You're creepy. I'm getting away from you. And then he turns that around by saying, oh, people don't like me because I'm ugly and I hide my face in makeup. Hitting her where it hurts. Finding that vulnerability ability is where Pennywise lives. I mean, that is how predators work. And so seeing that craft, you're right. This would have been a great opener for the entire movie. We did see that Adrian had won the carnival prize and given it to Vicky. So there had been a passing of a torch. We had been aware of her at the beginning, but yeah, I don't know what to say other than we're conditioned to think about adults being eaten by a clown much differently than we are little kids.
1: And there's no, Real ticking clock here. It's not like there's a child that they're going to try to save. Bill will have one a little bit later, but it's very brief and does not feel very motivated. I guess right now they're motivated by doing the right thing and saving their own lives. But they come to this conclusion at that Chinese restaurant, my favorite scene of the movie, you get these six actors together playing off each other, talking over each other, Bill Hader giving great lines like, you two look amazing. What the fuck happened to me? I mean, I'm (laughs) laughing, I'm smiling. I feel like these people are our friends, even if I don't feel all of them are the little kids grown up. Here's the problem I have. I agree. Hater enlivens the material. He'll literally say
3: that later when, when he actually comes out of the dark and spooks them all by saying, does it float? Remember that clown used to do that? Ha ha ha. Why are you mocking what we've come here to do? We came here to be scared and you are, are bringing light to darkness the whole damn time. They're told that they're here to bring darkness to light. It's quite the opposite. Hater is here to laugh off every horrific idea there is.
1: I do love later in the clubhouse where he does the Pennywise dance, though. He does it pretty well. <laughs> yes. I,
3: the reason why Muschetti can't cut him, which is what any responsible director would do, is because Hater is so goddamn good. You don't want to lose this stuff because it's funny and it does make these people feel real and not boring like they are on the page. The problem is it changes the temperature of the room. We now are in a comedy.
1: Yeah, I felt it was very telling after that dance. Richie's like, just trying to bring some levity to this. I guess I'll go fuck myself. You know, I kind of feel like that might be the direction he was given. Let's dial it back. I guess no. I'll go fuck myself. Why do you think he was given that direction? I see no
3: example of that. That If they've dialed him back, I can't imagine the hours of additional footage he must be in Jar Jar-like, busting in <laughs> through every scene to go,
2: squeeze me. Please, sir. He did nothing Jar Jar-like. He never went that low. But I feel like when we get to this Chinese restaurant, yeah, if you want drama, maybe it's, I don't know what's going on with James McAvoy in this film bad few months while filming it I don't know he doesn't bring much he was being told that he had to go back for Dark Phoenix reshoots if I was
1: McAvoy I wouldn't be too happy either
2: yeah maybe that was the problem but I do feel like it is the Richie and Eddie show and I mean maybe that's on purpose because of a revelation that will come at the end of this but yeah I feel like they kind of steal the scenes they're in with their uh, childlike bickering and jokes Two things.
3: I think it's two things. One, hater is so good, they won't cut any bit that he does. And two, McAvoy, Chastain, and the Kiwi are so uninteresting,
1: we don't ever want to watch their story. I'll give Chastain a compliment here. I like her in this movie, what little she has to do. That scene that's in the trailer, where we'll get to in a minute, she's really good in. I normally don't like Chastain. But here, I you know, here in Molly's game are the two times I've been like, wow, she's really giving a performance I enjoy. But I I always go back to Interstellar and Murph.
3: Yeah, she's had bad movies. Crimson Peak is the worst thing she's been in. Oh, my
1: God, that's awful. But this scene here with all of them together, favorite scene. We do get the fortune cookie scare and it does give them words in fortune cookies to form a, a puzzle. I
3: like the way that played. I actually thought that that was well constructed where the boys are trying to piece it all together. And they're not even paying attention to the girl who's holding the the key piece there is Stanley. When you put Stan into that word salad, suddenly it's very clear that guest Stanley could not cut it. And they know why that chair is empty. Very well set up there. And I think original to this movie, I don't remember the book Laying it out in that way. No, not like that. Yeah, I w- they do the fortune cookie stuff. And I got to say, that first one that comes out could be on the cover of an Ann Getty's calendar. <laughs> Remember they used to like those shriveled little yes, babies? Yes, Like they come out of rosebuds. People thought
2: that was cute. Oh, my sister had tons of Ann Getty's <laughs> posters, yeah.
3: Yeah, I mean, like, you know, like in a different decade, if this were 1999 and not 2016,
1: people would have been applauding. I do love the eyeball, because they did the eyeball in the last movie. Here they do it so much better. But the CGI in this film, can we agree it's wholly unbelievable? I feel like there was a choice...
3: That was made, particularly with the specters, of saying because they're going to change shape and because the the amount of fear someone has is going to make them larger or smaller, we must, therefore, make everyone attacking them look CGI. And to me,
1: that takes me out of it. Mm -hmm. There's nothing scary about CGI. And... There's, the technology exists. Nothing has to look CGI anymore. You can make everything look photo real.
3: And I think that is the choice to make it not look real is, is part of the design. They want it to be scary in the way that a child would imagine. It looks like an ogre from a picture book. When we see the old lady come out of the dark, it does not
1: look like a a real naked lady. It feels like a Tim Burton decision that undermines the
2: horror. Yeah, like when that eyeball comes out, I'm like, ooh, that's CGI. Like, that's got to be a choice to make it look. I don't know. It's just, yeah, it's not photorealistic. It's not what they could do today.
3: And then, of course, Hater is like, my fortune cookie is looking at me again. So, again, we have lost the idea that this moment is supposed to be scary. It is funny. It ends on a, I'll have what she's having joke. I mean, like, do we have a check, you know, when the waitress comes back? I mean, like, we are laughing.
2: Yeah, I'm like, come on, you got to be paid for that damage. she, That waitress is just very nonchalant about Mike sitting there smashing the table. And then the
3: little kid that comes in and and recites the, the line from his stand-up that he should know, but because he doesn't do his own, ma- he doesn't write his own material, he doesn't. Again, all of this feels like, again, jokes. Why are you writing jokes when you should be creating scares?
2: Oh, I like that moment because he takes it as a threat. And he, they're so freaked out by what happened in their little private dining room. Yeah, he doesn't get that he's saying a line and he takes it as a threat and starts screaming at him.
1: I thought the kid was Pennywise. I thought for sure that it was, like, faking him out. But no, this kid, like the way we were set up with little Ricky with the mole on her face with the stuffed animal at the beginning, here we're being set up with this kid. He's going to come back and be killed later, too. Yeah. Dean is his name. He actually lives in the house
3: that Bill lived in in 1989.
1: And this ends our Chinese dinner scene, and we will never have a scene with the six of them together again, having conversations and things like this. And it's it's a shame because I think these actors, the three you mentioned, who aren't that great in this movie, they aren't given that much to do, are better here when they have others to play off of them. Ben is at his best when he's being made fun of by Richie. Yeah, we have what I would
3: say two good funny characters, a boring romantic triangle and two perfunctory characters that do nothing but help kick things down the road. That Mike is basically here to say, now that you remember the clown, we must perform the ritual of chode, chud. (laughs) Well, I mean, insert your own dirty joke here chud is uh, do they bud the chud later on I mean crud uh, you know there's so many. and then like that, it ends up being what looks like a lampshade from Leatherface's home that's a yeah. native it's what because it looks like a teepee it makes it Native American
1: was it an urn was it a jug? who would make an urn where the like
3: the hole is so small what could you put in it
1: ashes I mean ashes are small in an urn but if they're supposed to get artifacts and cram that shit in good thing he didn't <laughs> use silver
3: to put in there I'm like how's he gonna get the bike in that
2: <laughs> I thought he was I'm like how is he gonna get the bike in there is he gonna take the chain off and just sacrifice the chain I thought the same
3: thing. The millennials I was with, they, like, one of them was like, yeah, I read the book a long time ago. I love it. Afterwards, he's like, did all that stuff with the Native Americans happen in the book? He had repressed it. He had put that out of his mind because it's very unsatisfying.
2: So that is in the book because I was thinking Pet Cemetery because I know they do some Indian stuff there. It's worse in the book
1: because it's a bunch of white kids sitting around going, I know what them Indians do. Let's make our own sweat lodge. They don't even get it from actual Native Americans. They just fake it. Yeah, instead we're expected to believe
3: the character that never left the town did like go to a tent just outside city limits, do a little hash and see the comet descend.
2: Wouldn't these Native Americans like move further away if they had this whole history of fighting Pennywise? Like <laughs> get
3: out of the state. They have the whole goddamn America. Let's just like put it in perspective. No, no, them. no.
1: They have a few reservations.
3: No, I mean the Indians had the West. They could have moved anywhere if they realized there was an evil in these great Grounds, if this were another pet cemetery kind of scenario, unless they were guarding it or trying to keep it corralled, that's a different thing. But the way that it's portrayed is in Tim Burton stop motion fashion, it came to them as a giant eagle that tried to bite them, and they stood around and threw stuff in this lampshade. And well, Mike would have you believe that that stopped them.
1: But if it stopped him,
3: Why is he still out there? Right. And how did he get the lampshade? And if he cut the fourth panel that showed that they died, who made that fourth (laughs) panel that they all died? And then what did he put in its place? Did he like take up sewing and leather work in order to patch this thing up? I I mean, I don't need to point out how ridiculous this has become by hour one.
1: Well, I I do think we later on just see him scraping it out. Like, I guess he just kept that side to himself the whole time, but- Yeah, in the
2: book, the Native Americans did flee. But did the Natives leave it blank so they could carve, like, the results of their fight with Pennywise?
3: Yeah, and that they can clearly show their own failure as tentacles come out and stab them. Now, it should be said, maybe some of this is hallucination because Mike has slipped Bill some roots with properties (laughs) in his water, and so he's tripping.
1: Yeah, but- the, the lampshade, as you call it, is still there after the trip is done. But yes, this is where they go to the library and they set up this whole ritual of Chud. And I'm like, wow, you're, you're really doing it. You're really going the book route. OK, I can kind of go with that.
2: I, I'm expecting the turtle at this point. <laughs>
1: I, I was wondering. I honestly thought they might go with the turtle. I actually think you need the turtle, but we'll get
3: there. I, like It doesn't have to be a turtle, but if you're getting to elemental, primal ideas that evil is this force that just lives in the ground, then there has to be something else that lives above that guides. I mean, I do think a turtle, I don't know why he came to that animal. But I do feel, maybe because it has a hard shell and can protect itself, I can't remember why Turtle. But I do feel like, yes, if this ends up being White Lodge, Black Lodge, David Lynchian kind of ideas of good and evil,
2: you need to come up with a god character to fight Satan. And with this origin story, is this saying that he that it is uh, just an evil entity god? Or is it just an alien that crash landed and like is just living underground? I take
1: it in this movie specifically that it's an alien. Now, if you read the book, it is from the cosmos, so in that way it is alien and there is a species of it.
3: It's interesting to me it's portrayed as a trinity. You know, and I know that King has his issues about fundamental religion and what have you. He tends to show preachers and and religious folks as hypocrites and part of the evil, but it's three lights. The dead lights are a swirl of three lights that are there from the beginning. If you actually watch the Warner Brothers logo and the New Line logo, it's swirling around them. Is the first thing we see as we get into the movie.
1: It was in the last movie when Beverly looked into the mall there were those three lights at the end of it, which works so much better than a spider rearing up with headlights on its belly. Yes. (laughs) Right. So it's the
3: inverse of what we think. We usually think of the lights as being good and darkness being evil. And what we're told is this light, these three lights are a false promise of good. It's actually the evil and we need to bring darkness to it, which is a strange idea If these characters have repressed things. You usually think of coming to light as a as a metaphor for for digging up old stuff and and you know coming to terms with it. I mean that's healing, right? Is bringing things to light, not letting them fester in the dark is how I think about
1: uh you know good things happening. But we are told quite the opposite, which I don't necessarily mind because of the deadlights thing and what is its real form. But yeah, to Jacob's question, here I think it is a evil
2: space alien and it's John Carpenter's The Thing. We are going to like literally get a scene from The Thing in, in this film. I, I couldn't <laughs> believe it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And Yeah, and that's where Bill Hader actually told Muschietti, I have to say, you've got to be fucking kidding me, because that's the line from the thing. We're going to make it an homage, (laughs) because otherwise people are going to say it's a ripoff.
3: Yeah, I actually think there's a lot that they do. Well, let's face it, it's the right instinct. If the original was going to bring up old universal monsters like the werewolf and the mummy, like that worked in the 50s and 60s, and, you know... So what were the things that scared us in the 80s? I do think this movie could have actually spent more time repackaging those frights.
1: What scared me in the 80s were stories that meandered and never got anywhere like this hunt for artifacts. Yeah, this is a real
2: mistake. This is the video game journey, right? Like each character's got to find an object. Yes,
1: yes. And they start together because Stan's
2: dead. They go to this clubhouse that they never had. This is the retcon. Yeah, that there's an underground bunker that Ben built as a child that they just hung out at all the time. We
3: saw him take them to his room with the new kids on the block poster behind the door that had on the wall all the information that he'd be in mess. This is where he spends his time and did all his work. There was no clubhouse. This is bullshit.
2: He was in the library the whole summer, like the librarian even made fun of him for that.
3: Yeah, I don't like this choice. I don't like the idea and all of it. The fact that they walk there, they all have nice cars and they all walk there like they did as they were kids. And then he just falls through the ground, like just, again, more comic falling. like all of this setup of the clubhouse. The fact that Stan's token is going to be shower caps because (laughs) they were afraid of spiders Well, it
1: in the book was a big spider. So yeah, I thought that was the joke. I think that's one way of I read it. Is it's a protection from it. My confidence is waning. Let me put it this way: first half
3: hour, totally with the movie. Believe they're going to do original new things with the material. Hour one, Chode is um, is spoken of, and I'm now feeling like oh no, like they're going like I'm with Eddie here. Wait, we're all going to break up. Like the power is clearly together and they'll say that we need to come together at the end. But because they had a fight in the middle of summer, they need to relive that by all breaking up and finding their individual talisman, which sometimes will be a source of strength and sometimes will be a source of pain. This is all bad.
1: And what they find is arbitrary. It seems like they just need to find something. Right. And
3: (laughs) it could have been a hair barrette. I mean, it could have been anything (laughs) from my life at all because, like, some of it is like yearbook stuff and stuff that's sentimental and mean things. And some of it are representations of bad things, like the inhaler.
1: And that inhaler isn't his old inhaler from when he was a kid. He goes to the pharmacy, gets a new inhaler, whatever. (laughs) Mike is going to just use her bloody rock that he still has we never even see him get the bloody rock because Mike is so unimportant. But Mike is the one who sets them all off on this fool's errand that's going to take an hour of this movie because this shit doesn't even work. Yeah, this is somewhere Shyamalan
3: (laughs) is laughing. He's like, you know, you made fun of my lady in the water, but
1: the guy I ripped off wasn't so great at this either. I mean, this is just frustrating when we find out it's a ruse. If this had meant something, but this is going to give us everybody's individual arc. Everyone has to go face their pr- private torment. I wish that Mushetti and Doberman had come up with a way to do it that felt organic instead of felt like a series of webisodes, really.
2: Yeah, this is where we're going to get our scares or, or at least our it moments, which, uh, look, that's what I want in a horror film uh, about a shape-shifting clown. Like, I want the scares. I want uh, the gore. I want that kind of stuff. But, yeah, getting the way we get here is is very awkward. You know, I felt like we were getting through all that TV miniseries that second night real quick in this movie. But that's because they just took all those scares that really prolonged that first act and threw them for the second hour here. They just shifted things around.
3: Look, there's a reason why the first teaser I saw for It is Beverly coming back to her house. Some of this stuff is good. Some of this, when they... Don't have Bill Hader making fun of it like it's actually creepy and good and where this movie should live more often.
2: It's creepy because it's an old lady, but then she starts doing her, like, dances in the background and people are laughing. We, we are in a comedy at this point. But it is scary funny that you have... Is it scary? It's I don't even understand these little jigs that she's doing in the background.
1: Well, it's supposed to be like the Pennywise dance and that is an actual 85-year-old lady who is actually naked. Oh. no. I wouldn't have guessed that. And she, yeah, th- she's been a minor actress her whole life. She's like, this is the first time anyone ever asked for a nude scene. <laughs> Take that, Lenoche. Like <laughs> well, she's auditioning for The Visit too.
3: Shyamalan, give me a call. I could do Sundowning better than anybody.
1: But the thought of an eighty-five-year-old woman naked is creepy. I'm apologies if that sounds ageist, but nobody wants to see that, other than eighty-five-year-old men in horny nursing homes. And so this is a creepy scene. I like the flashback. This is one of my favorite flashbacks. Young Beverly with her father, who's there. And it is, again, driving home the creepiness from the first one, that he's molesting
2: her. He sprays her with mom's perfume. Yeah, he says, you look just like mom. And
1: yeah,
3: This was a little Leland Palmer, right? Like, I really felt like, okay, Machete, dial this back. I know you watched Twin Peaks.
1: Yeah, it was, but... By the same token, when they were home alone together, what did that father have to hide with the daughter he was raping? I mean, he doesn't have to be subtle when they're alone. I feel like Machete is imitating
3: and not innovating is what I'm really saying. And maybe it works to the advantage because Twin Peaks was eighty nine, ninety. I mean, that was when it was... Like all of these things, you can say he's stealing from period accurate. When he's doing the thing, when he's doing Twin Peaks, when the clown has a tentacle that swirls around the guy, just like the clown in Poltergeist did, I
1: go, well, those are moments I remember from my childhood, from that time period. And yeah, so I'm definitely with that. I'm a little bit disappointed that... All of the music in this is from 89. Only in the flashbacks do we get the stuff. I'm like, I wondered. Because they used music so effectively in the original, I was like, so are we going to get Justin Timberlake Can't Stop the Feeling (laughs) or Halsey's Closer? I mean, what were we going to get as music in the present? Are those 2016 hits? Those are 2016 hits. Yeah, I feel
3: like they don't understand anything about today. For one, how can highly successful people disappear for 24 hours and not get a text or a phone call? (laughs) Like, who has heard of this? Like, these are super up-and-coming people in, in large fields where hundreds of people are are talking to them in a day. You don't get to disappear. Like, we don't see them get rid of their cell phones. They just don't have them or don't answer them, which is totally ridiculous.
2: Okay, I I get the logic. I I guess I'm approaching this. This is supposed to be a horror movie, so whatever. They're not getting calls from their agents finding out where they are. My issue is if you're going to do all these little side stories and do a flashback within, within the side story... I want some kind of resolution that should be setting up the character's arc. And uh, fine, you defeated it, which is the embodiment of all your fears. That's just a little too generic. Like, you're going to introduce that this dad was even creepier and spraying her with perfume. I really want to feel Beverly has some kind of resolution to this abusive father that raped her and that how that set up a chain of events in her life. And I want that for each character. I don't think we get that. Maybe with Bill, but... It, it just feels like, okay, here's a moment to do some really laughable CGI with this old woman. Like the audience was cracking up. I, I just, I'm like, wow, that's what they're going to do with her? Turn her into a, a giant with mouths in her neck? It was Gollum,
1: right? It was <laughs> Smeagol she turned into. <laughs> yeah. Smeagol with tits.
3: Yeah. Again, the choice to do CGI meant that they were going for artificial, almost childlike visions of monsters. And again, it had three mouths, that Trinity. We'll see three as a repetitious number many, many times. They're linking that with evil. Uh, Here's the thing I would say. We don't need to be reminded that Beverly was raped by her father. We remember that the movie is at a disadvantage in that the main characters don't know stuff that the audience does. We don't need an hour for them to wake up and and figure out what we already know. Like this is a huge lull for us to wait for that. Like, what is more interesting about this scene and ends up not making much sense was that this woman is talking about her father who came to America and joined the circus and became Pennywise. So was there a real Pennywise before he was co-opted by the space lights? And what did that look like? Why aren't we finding out things about Pennywise? Well, yeah, why did he possess this person? Why are we finding out things we already know about these trauma victims?
1: And Machete did speak to this during an interview. If you read it, the novel, when Georgie meets Pennywise at the opening of the book, he's like, "What's your name?" And he's like, he gives a number of different names, right? But one he gives is Bob Gray. Now, I kind of wish it said Gray instead of Kirsch on the door, because they maybe she married Mister Kirsch and he's now dead and she's a widow. But Bob Gray is never explored by King. And what Machete said is he wants to kind of explore some of this. Was Bob Gray a real person?
2: Oh. Chapter three. Yeah, the prequel that they're going to do. Yeah. They've
1: teased it. Okay. Did Bob Gray play a clown? Did it learn that clowns attracted children? So it became Bob Gray as bait. You know, is, is this the origin story of it? It seems that way. We get to see Bob Gray or Pennywise without the makeup on, Bill Skarsgård, and then tearing his face off while putting makeup on. Now, let me ask, you were so high on him last time. Are you loving Skarsgård in this movie? I'm liking him in this movie, but I, I've lost some of my enamored bits because I feel he's not given the good stuff to do in this movie. No, it all goes with the CGI. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When he's with the little girl, I love guard in this movie. His best scene. For the rest of this film, I feel like what he's given to do is insufficient. Why isn't he killing them? They're separated. Why is he just booga, booga? Yeah, I, I think
3: that's fair. I think that, yes, even though I wanted him to dial it down, I didn't want him removed from the story. And here, yeah, you're right. It's a tease for things I want answers to. I don't want to wait for some sequel. I feel like chapter two could be about these characters. They're finding about themselves as they find out about it. But the audience is hungry for new information. They don't want to be retold what they already were told two years ago in the first movie.
1: So the fact that there's this Bob Gray, now when Beverly gets out of the house, and the transitions here are very weird to me. I'm not quite sure how we go from the old golem to in a cellar with a clown to back outside and then realizing, oh, the house was condemned all along. Nobody ever lived there. So maybe this is just Pennywise teasing himself. Maybe this isn't a Bob Gray situation, but that's what Muschietti was Thinking when he did this, it's like the whole
3: town is Silent Hill. I think Derry has become Pennywise, like it, everything here is a mirage that it is so corrupted by his evil, even though he's supposedly been dormant for 27 years. I think the infection has grown worse.
1: I think what King was trying to say is it. Is a symptom of small town yes. callousness, not that it causes it. And so, because people in this town are so uncaring and, you know, he, he doesn't always make sense in like the gay bashing, but he based dairy on Bangor, Maine. He moved his family there against his wife's wishes because he wanted to research it. And when he got there, one of the first things that happened in like 1980 was this actual gay bashing where they beat up somebody from out of town and threw him off a bridge and killed him. So he's taking the ugliness of small town life and trying to bring it to light and using it as a... An embodiment, a, a metaphor for that. Yeah. And again, it works
3: so well in Salem's lot. I really love that book. And, you know, the the second TV movie wasn't that bad. So, I, I, again, I go with that. I feel like there's a, a lot to be said about the closed mindedness of small town America. That's, if that's the evil, great. But explore that relationship is what I'm really asking for these scenes to do.
1: I wish that all the moments mattered. I like Richie's a little bit. It's where I start to realize that he might be gay when he goes to the arcade. His artifact is going to be a token, and we're going to have a flashback to him as a kid kind of hitting on Henry Bauer's cousin, but it also just seemed like, hey, I've lost all my friends because we broke up. Would you like to be my friend and play Street Fighter? Yeah, did anyone ever play Street Fighter 1 on an arcade? I've
2: never seen that one. I just skipped a Street Fighter 2. Huge
1: hit. Okay, I, I looked it up because I thought of Street Fighter 2. I started playing Street Fighter 2 in 92. I did look it up. Street Fighter 1, 1987. Massive, massive success. I never played that one, so... (laughs) And in the background, there's also Rampage and Mortal Kombat... Both Warner Brothers <laughs> franchises, I might add, <laughs> that are based on video games.
3: As is You've Got Mail, the Meg Ryan movie that is behind them and brings up the idea of the Meg Ryan joke earlier and the idea of having a secret love affair. Again, they're trying to do the best they can to assert the idea that this 12-year-old is a closeted homosexual, but they really they have no time to develop it other than the passing of a token from one kid to the other, who I also presume is gay, but hiding it because Henry Bowers would then abuse him if he were to find out.
2: When I saw them as kids, I'm like, well, does he, doesn't he just want a friend to play this game with? But then when we cut back to older Richie and Pennywise is like, I know your secret. I'm like, ah, OK. And then they're going to make it even more explicit by making the homosexual gay bashing victim walk by as a zombie and hand him a, a flyer, I guess, for his own funeral.
1: Pennywise was so much better in part one Here he's like wanna play truth or dare But you're not gonna take truth Because of your secret It's like oh boy yeah he's gay Can't he tell the clown he's gay I mean really Was the clown gonna out him
3: I did think that song was hysterical. I know your dirty <laughs> secret. Like when he's floating down in there, I'm like, yeah, this is some bad Broadway show <laughs> that would close after two <laughs> nights. But I kind of love
1: this because it's so tacky. Where's Ethel Merman? And then he runs to this park and it's it's in the book, but that doesn't mean you should translate it to the screen when a giant Paul Bunyan statue yeah. comes after you. Maybe I mean you can read
3: something into the idea that this is a manly man and 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 thus in some ways getting at the closeted homosexuality. You got to dig deep on that. I don't understand the most confusing thing about it is Paul Bunyan has an axe when he's standing there, but then when he attacks him, he has like a prong from a from it looks like a fireplace yeah. poker. <laughs> I don't under I don't understand that choice. But there's so much I don't understand at this point. Why the color scheme suddenly becomes aviator palette. (laughs) I just, all of it's
1: so bizarre. That's what I was talking about specifically where it goes red, blue, red, blue. Maybe the poker is phallic and uh, axe isn't phallic. I, axe is pretty phallic.
3: Again, we would we don't. It's not subtext anymore. They have told us. We all know his dirty secret. That's it's been telegraphed to us. It just feels weird because I did not see it in the original movie, and I don't know if it was there. I feel like this is another retcon,
1: like the clubhouse. And we see young Richie running to a bridge and writing R plus. And like you do with, with a lover and it's left blank. I'm like, all right, I can't decide if it's Eddie or Stan, but it's definitely one of them. Well, it's E. Right? No, we never see the E till the end. Oh, okay. We just it. see the R plus and we don't get to see what the second letter is. And we're going to see also in the in another flashback later. I mean, Bill Hader is so important. He actually gets two. He's the only loser who went to Stan's bar mitzvah
2: where Stan went off script. We did see Richie at the bar mitzvah in the first one.
1: Did
3: we? Yeah. Was the bar mitzvah in the first one? It was, uh, yes. It didn't go this way. It's part of the August montage of them all being separate.
2: Okay, with the... Dear God song. Yeah, they don't show the actual speech, but we see Richie sitting there watching Stan.
1: Okay, I didn't remember that from that because it was a montage, but yeah, Stan's going to give a speech. He's like, I don't feel like a man, but he's going to give a speech that some adult crafted a long time about (laughs) facing your fears, and it's good to be a loser, and all of this. So, because he was the only one there, and he's remembering Stan so fondly, I was like, It could be Stan that Richie loves, or it could be Eddie because of all the I fuck your mama jokes. But here's the problem. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong.
3: We came here because a clown's going to abduct you and eat you. Town gossip and feeling insecure about who you are is not the same kind of scary as clown going to bite your heart out.
1: No, or your dad raping you. And
3: we will have scene after scene of these people remembering traumatic things. No doubt they hurt and they have stayed with them those 27 years. I'm not minimizing the trauma. I'm saying it's not
1: scary for the audience. And I mean, Bill probably has the biggest trauma. He has the dead brother. It's a king motif again and again.
2: Which is weird because Bill does have the biggest arc. I don't feel like he's the main character of this movie. He should be, though. Yeah. He was in the TV movie and he's nothing in this. And he was in the book. Here, I was shocked that Jessica
1: Chastain was top billed. But if we're going off of screen time and importance, Bill Hader should have the top billing. And then maybe McAvoy second and Chastain third. Chastain's
3: got been nominated for Best Actress. None of the others have been up for Oscar.
1: And- it's it's worth saying internationally, McAvoy is top billed, but in the cut I saw, Jessica Chastain was the first
2: name on the screen. Yeah, no, I noticed Jessica Chastain first, but that blew my mind.
1: We're going to see Bill, and he's trying to go through, we're going to see him interact with Stephen King in a cameo there as a shopkeep, and he's he pulled out a main accent that he doesn't have when I see him speak in person. Yeah, I, I, here's the thing. He's become a better actor. When I think about <laughs> Creep
3: Show and I see this yes. performance, I think, oh, he's very sly and funny. And But it makes me sad when he brings up the ending bit again. He's in on the joke. And thus, this is not going to go in a radically different direction. I, I, it confirms to me at this point that the director is aligned with King, that these people are wrong, that his endings are bad. They're not bad. They need to just be done with much more sentimentality.
1: I think that the director had a conversation with King because I mean, Doberman and Machete both said what King wrote is unfilmable. Yeah, it, it, I mean, what you have to understand, Jacob, you haven't read the book. Is no. Bill <laughs> and Pennywise have a psychic fight where Bill is Bill's astral form is sucked into space and he has to bite Pennywise's tongue
2: psychically. <laughs> Is that why Pennywise has a big tongue later on in this film? I feel like there's a lot of tongue stuff.
1: That is unfilmable. I mean, I can't imagine a Doctor Strange with the astral projection where Benedict Cumberbatch has to bite Dormammu's tongue.
3: I think that is the ending to Ang Lee's Hulk. I mean, I remember somebody biting into an electric cord.
1: But yeah, it is unfilmable. And I think that King has obviously read the reviews that say his endings suck. So... He isn't on the joke, but they can't stick to the exact ending from that book. What works on the page in a very Cthulhu-like fashion of this unseeable monstrosity, because I mean, if you read the book, it isn't really a spider it is something so horrid that the closest their minds can interpret it as is a spider.
3: Yeah, that's Lovecraft. You never can see the evil. If you see the evil, you go insane. No one no one can describe. In fact, Lovecraft will use words that intentionally obscure the monster. Like it's unknowable, unseeable, undefinable. And
1: Tom, in the book, dies by looking at it and not being able to handle its true form. Again, very Cthulhu. Very Lovecraft.
3: Yeah, I, and there aren't any, many good Lovecraft movies, and the reason is because they are so literate, and that is why you need to just come up with your own stuff. And I will not feel, I what I feel like Machete ends up doing is trying to do his best to tell King's book while cutting out the stuff that he felt like he couldn't
1: literalize. Yeah, to a degree, but in the book, The Root Ritual of Chud is not Booga booga. You know, it actually works. That was what Bill was doing with the astral projection was the ritual of Chud. Here, he's getting silver back from Stephen King, the bike. I'm like, yeah, that's his artifact. And I I felt for sure that was his artifact. And I felt for sure the wife had to be coming to town because King is like, it may not ride. And Bill's like, it's fast enough to beat the devil. So this bike's going to be important, right? No. <laughs> yeah, why do that? Why like
3: we'll see him get on that bike and they'll have this swell of Steven Spielberging and music. Why not just cut to that? Why cut to him like falling off a rusty bike and
1: making another joke? Why do that? And, and this this should tell you right there. This isn't all hater at work. There is humor intrinsically in this. I do think the script called to hater. Hater didn't just turn this into the comedy it is, but. The bike is so unnecessary you could cut it entirely because the real point is he's going to go to his old house and see that the kid that Richie yelled at at the Chinese restaurant now lives in his old house and is coming out with a skateboard. He's going to flash back to Georgie coming out of the house with the boat. And he's going to
2: call down into that sewer and he's going to get that boat back
1: that's what you do. Like, Stephen King, sorry,
3: you're fired. We don't need silver. We don't need to go to the antique shop. All we really need for this character to do was to return to the site of his incredible guilt, which is that his brother died at this particular sewer drain.
1: And you can't cut this King scene for two reasons. One, when when he gets to the sewer, he's riding silver. So you have to explain where silver came from. And two, you don't cut King in a King movie. But... It's a pointless diversion when he goes there. It is just all jokes. Having King there himself has got a big laugh out of my audience. You want comedy
3: as a way of releasing the tension. Where is the tension in this movie? Mm -hmm. The the directing hand has gotten so loose that like this thing is just flown. It's just, you feel like if this were still film, it would fly out of the reels. Like it is not even feeding into the projector anymore. It is that, it's not only floating, it's floating away.
1: And so, yeah, he he yells at it and Pennywise is going to show up. Why Georgie? Because you weren't there to protect him. We're going to hint at another retcon here that they'll reveal at the end. And yeah, he's almost pulled into the sewer, but he gets the boat back out and has his artifact that does fit in the urn
2: I totally forgot he had that when they got to underground I still thought he's gonna have to go get silver and bring it down
1: yeah I mean I think that's right I think
3: that Georgie should still be the thing in his mind and they probably should have done a better job the reason why he can't write endings is because he never had closure on what happened to
1: Georgie
2: yet this movie should be about Bill dealing with his guilt with Georgie like that should be the main overall arc and he that could produce Project him as the leader of this group of people and they're all background characters. I really feel like, yeah, consolidate and focus. And no, there's no focus. There's a lot of fun CGI monsters, if that's your thing. But yeah, if you want tight storytelling, this is not your movie.
3: Here's the problem. He did have closure at the end of the film. He picked up that bolt gun and shot Georgie. Now, a a character who would not acknowledge he died will literally kill him off. And that's it. Like, I'm not, gone is trauma. No more guilt. So this is just phony. Unfortunately, they've created a phony argument for adult Bill.
1: Yeah, Bill's arc here doesn't work
2: because of the last movie. Well, because they're going to retcon it.
3: Well, yeah, I'm tabling that. I'll honor the fact that they're going to take another hour to tell us the whole story of that. But here, more interesting to me, the thing I do like about this scene is the idea that there's a new kid living in the house who is like a Georgie. He's Dean and he's, you know, it's kind of interesting. The 80s have come back in fashion. So like today's kids kind of look like they did in the 80s in their own way. And here's a kid skateboarding. You know, that was an 80s thing.
1: I skateboarded in 89.
3: Yeah, his his jean jacket. He's got shades. While not looking like a facsimile, a a waxwork of Georgie, he reminds us of a typical 80s kid in modern style and how is this guy going to protect him if he couldn't save Georgie is a wonderful storyline for him a much better story I think than going back to the flooded basement and reliving all of that
1: boat trauma and Dean, I feel bad for this kid. He goes out for some Chinese food with his parents. Some strange man grabs him and starts yelling at him. He wants to go skateboarding. A different strange man grabs him and starts yelling at him. That in its own way is subtly hysterical to me. I would have liked it if Dean showed up and every loser yelled at him. But when
3: he shows up, I wish, like, we could now just follow this. Like, I want to let's, we're back in modern times. We've covered the past. But no, we've still got to hit Ben. We've still got to hit all of the other ones. Not Mike. Mike doesn't matter. Yeah. It's just like, no, I don't want to go back to Derry High School for something that did not happen. This is not a memory. Ben did not go to summer school. There was no summer school. He met Beverly on the last day of official class. So there is no moment in his memory where she talked to him after class.
1: No, but this was after they met. They met on the last day of school. What they're retconning is he went to summer school. He
2: does not go to summer school throughout IT Chapter 1. And neither would
1: she. No, she snuck in to have a cigarette Into it wasn't even her. That was all Pennywise. Well, I get that. I'm saying what Pennywise
3: has been doing is infecting their memories and then getting them. And this never happened, unless you're telling me he did, in no moment that we ever saw in Chapter 1, find time to go back to summer school.
1: That's the only way I can read this, is Ben is reliving a memory of a time it attacked him while the gang was separated. Who were the kids in the back? Just kids we never noticed them before other I ha- students
3: i hate this is my least favorite one i hate it. and, and god damn if they're going to keep hitting that fiery winter hair poem <laughs> i did never need to hear about that goddamn poem again and here she's going to chase him around with a flaming skull out of fucking ghost rider
1: i do really like that though that they're you going- do uh, just that if you're going to have this poem so much
2: set su- set the red hair on fire set the script on fire this scene is cut When Ben goes and hides in the locker, there's, I don't know what new kid that is. I think it's one of the Johnnies or Johnny or whatever, but I, he's got such a creepy grin. I was waiting for that to come alive. The serious moment in this movie is that poster looking at him while he hides in the locker, but no, he's just going to turn around and, you know, Pennywise is back.
1: And hey, I had some things that I was a fan of in high school that I wouldn't want other people, my peers, to know about, like Michael Jackson music. I liked it, but it wasn't socially acceptable. So if I'm trying to hide that, I don't put a Michael Jackson poster in my locker at school where everyone can see it. Most frustrating of all, Ben already has his artifact,
3: he's never gotten rid of it, it's in his wallet.
2: Yeah, he didn't need to go back in time to discover it.
3: Cut this whole terrible, poorly staged, unscary, dumb scene and let the pace continue where it naturally wants to go in modern day.
1: The only way I could take this is this is his realization that this is his artifact because he found it in his locker when It was chasing him. And then Doberman said this is a direct callback to the TV series. Kiss me, fat boy, is a Tim Curry line. Not from the book. At no point did Ben kiss It in the book. But there was the time when It was pretending to be Beverly in the miniseries, so they do that here.
3: All you really need is for Ben to realize that Bev remembers a boy kissing her and believes it's Bill. That she has her postcard, that was her artifact that she got out, and she, in her hazy understanding of the past, believes that Bill, because she's been attracted to she's, you know... I think seen him as a savior in Here's the thing. I don't remember her really being lovey-dovey with him in chapter one. There was like one moment, but here we have a lot of flashbacks where they're making out and stuff.
1: No, there were a couple moments. There was the moment at the bathtub and then the moment where they said goodbye and they had long looks and things, but I don't think we ever see them making out in a flashback. She here's the th-
3: here's the problem I'm having with Chastain and all of it is like Arbev wanted to be a tomboy. She didn't want to be thought of as sexual, and I thought they downplayed that because she was being sexually abused. And now I'm supposed to believe that the whole time she was moony eyed over this guy she kissed in a third grade play.
1: If you watched the last movie and watched the performance being given, Beverly was into Bill
3: a little. But it wasn't like this. And the idea that grown-up Bev, it seems wrong. This seems off as a choice.
1: Yeah, especially since they're not addressing Beverly's marriage. Yeah, or Bill's. Mm-hmm. Well, Bill, when they do KISS in present day... Bill gives her a look that's like, uh, you know, I'm married. I That's how I read that look.
3: He should have showed her in the fucking ring that he's wearing. I mean, does she not see it or she did not care? It's hard to know, but again, uh, this is all problematic for me. And again, Ben is just going to sit there and stew and think, I got these abs for
1: you and you don't even look at me? And the thing is the flashback for Ben is supposed to, to show us the real thing is you'll always be alone and you'll die alone. And so that's going to be what Ben has to come to terms with is he isn't alone
0: what
3: if they were younger like i would buy this if they were 30 why 27 years even like why can't pennywise come back 10 years later god knows abuse happens in small towns perennially there's never an off decade why would you
1: write it that pennywise takes so much time off because King was doing a stand by me thing, thinking back to the time he was young and writing this book 27 years after it.
3: Yeah, he was only thinking of himself and assumed that like it took him 27 <laughs> years to come to his own epiphanies about his abuse, not realizing that it's happening all the time, even in this moment and every moment prior to that to other people.
1: It was shortly after it that King confronted his drug abuse. and went into rehab. It it was one of the last novels. And it's funny because I saw an interview with McAvoy and he's like, he was being asked, you did a scene with King. Uh, What was that like? Did you talk to him? And McAvoy was, I'm a fan. I read all his books and he has these themes that repeat and these characters that pop up in one and then another. And so I had a chance to talk to King and ask him about it. And the answer that I most often got was, When I wrote that, I was stoned out of my mind. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. I, I do
3: feel like, yeah, a lot of King, you can't write as much as King and think and obsess on everything you're putting out there. You write from your subconscious. You just freeform it. I'm just going to let it all vomit out. And whatever it is is whatever it is. And it's your job to interpret, to psychoanalyze, to find meaning
1: king is the turtle yes he vomits out the galaxy of books yeah speaking of vomiting let's talk about my least favorite scene in the movie eddie's flashback (laughs) yeah where it goes full comedy oh it goes deadpool it rips off deadpool yes but eddie goes back to the pharmacy where we see that creepy pharmacist that hit on beverly
2: i thought they did some good old man makeup on him i thought i saw the seams at the neck yeah, and,
3: you know, he like, you really need Richard Thomas for this mole <laughs> looks like cancer bit. But yeah, apparently James Ransom also has a mole that looks like cancer. And then, it yeah, awkwardly transitions to the past where Greta, who's still there, uh, but as a young person, gave him pills for curing his dick cancer or something like, I, like that. So that's a
2: different scene than when she signs his cast. Because yes. his cast has not been signed. She didn't sign it there. I thought they were replaying that scene to remind him that he's on gazebos. Yeah, I did too,
1: and I wish Richie was there, because... When she says the line "Hope your dick feels better," I had a Richie <laughs> response. Would you like to find out? I mean, yeah, that- <laughs> no, that, that like,
2: I yeah, I, I went there too.
1: This is a bad scene.
3: This is just a very bad scene of little Eddie hearing mommy call for him down in the basement that's filled with every contaminant imaginable, like packs of bloods from Ivy spilling on him and broken hypos
1: on the floor. So we. This is again a childhood memory where it. Is the leper that he saw outside the house chained up and his mother is chained up, tied down? I, I don't understand what's going on here.
2: Uh, yeah, it feels like a scene from Saw with all these needles and everything everywhere. And what, he's trying to save his mom.
3: Yeah, basically they're germaphobes. She's made him that way. So what's grosser than a leper who's chained to the pipes? And I I don't
2: understand any of this. No, I don't understand why he's chained and on a leash. Why doesn't he just come out and chase them?
3: None of this is scary or makes sense. And yeah, if it was a memory, in what context would it have happened? I can't understand any of this. and, And why are we going over the fact that he doesn't like germs. He's The character's been saying it the whole movie. He said it the whole time the last movie. We don't need this scene. And then the leper sticking his tongue in you is comical.
1: I took that as a reference to Bill biting its tongue. I thought that maybe the tongue going in the mouth was a subtle reference. No, I thought
3: they were getting to Mr. Keen because when he was up there with Mr. Keen, Mr. Keen does a flicking of the tongue as well. And he's got that gross skin as well. I think they all have their adult monsters that are it still in their lives. And for this guy, it's his pharmacist, even though this is not his regular pharmacist.
2: And then they should have just made it the pharmacist and not the leper from the first film. I-
1: agree with that and what we're setting up here is another retcon eddie is so petrified and we got in the last film he didn't want this eddie was always saying this is summer we're supposed to be having fun i don't want to go fight monsters but now we're going to find out that he is such a coward that when trying to save his mother he's like screw it i'm for myself i'm getting the hell out of here sorry mom and then that's going to be his defining trait for the rest of the movie starting here at like the two hour mark if if we were to make this podcast five more hours
3: (laughs) i will never understand the musical choice of juice newton's angel of the
2: morning what the fuck i hate this i hate this at this moment my wife and I both turned and looked at each other and just shook our heads like this is the Ghostbusters 3 moment this is where I'm like okay this is the movie you're doing
3: first of all Angel of the Morning was a hit in 1980 nine years before supposedly this might have ever happened second of all it's about a woman that is wanting their lover to to wake them up as they are leaving maybe for a one-night stand or more what does that have to do with germophobia
1: I don't get it No, I mean, there is a little bit of germophobia in I don't want demon vomit all over me. I don't think that's even germophobia because I'm not a germophobe. I don't want demon vomit all over me. But why do you cut to a pop song?
3: There's a there's a lyric, just touch my cheek before you leave me, but it's not leaving.
1: And I mean, that's not vomit. Uh, you're right. I just absolutely hate this moment. It's undermining anything. It, 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 because Angel of the Morning was used so well in Deadpool, it is where I equate this song now is that ironic scene. Oh, that's why you brought up Deadpool I was like why is this a Deadpool ripoff yeah because it brought back Angel of the Morning for the opening credits oh
3: I know me some Juice Newton I like playing with the Queen of Hearts yeah like
1: I I knew her back in the day so did I but Deadpool recontextualized that song for me to where that's now what I think of I think that's what a lot of people think of now
3: thank you for educating me I (laughs) forgot it was even in the movie and don't know where it was
1: and it's made such a big deal out of in that here that he's strangling a zombie, the zombie vomits and it plays angel of the morning. Mm. I'm, I'm confused. I really, really do not understand this choice. It feels like the editor punking machete like does machete even watching what i'm doing i'm gonna put angel of the morning in here and see if he fucking notices
3: how much better would this movie have been if it had cut from the little dean running away from bill to him coming into the fun house we would have been there 20 minutes earlier and we wouldn't have had these last two gargantuanly awful scenes
1: what if they had a different reason for splitting up instead of this mcguffin hunt that does not matter
3: yeah we really like the thing is can they save the new kids if new kids are the victim that's the whole reason why they're doing it they're not doing it for themselves they all got away they came back to stop a cycle of abuse we should be focused on those victims saving those victims dean represents that i say go in that direction and stop mulling over their trauma which we already understand
1: and so Bill runs into this funhouse. There's 80 minutes left in the movie. All I can think of is he's stalling. I don't know why he wants this movie to be so long, but it feels needlessly bloated and indulgent. I like the carnival scene. It needed to be 30, 40 minutes earlier.
3: Yeah, exactly. It would be stronger if we, if it had logically flowed from Dean saying, uh, you, you're trying to help me, but I think you're weird. Get away from me. I mean, that's an irony that, you know, this Georgie figure won't accept the older brother's advice and is running from that and is running into danger. Again, I think under the tutelage of Chris, that bully from the beginning that beat up the gay guys uh, is, is the one that it looks like is leading him into that funhouse.
1: And it wants Bill there, because when Bill's kissing Beverly, what comes down the stairs but a bloody skateboard and the blood floats, telling Bill, hey, I'm going to kill this kid. And Bill's like, he said he was going to the carnival. Yeah, I didn't like that. We
3: don't need that. Like, it should be obvious. Like, just follow the kid there. We don't need bad... Ju- like, I thought that was a misdirect. Like, oh, you should go to the carnival and going upstairs and helping Eddie, who's about to be knifed by Henry Bowers, in a scene that I have to believe, Muschietti was sick that day, and he just <laughs> called his friend Sam Rainey and said, can you film this? I need to do it. And he's like, yeah, we did a whole Bruce Campbell bit with
1: a knife in a cheek. What happened to this movie? I don't know. I'm the same way. I'm like, first of all, I was happy to see they were going a different way than the book. Because at this point, Henry Bowers was going to attack Mike. And we were going to send Mike to the hospital like we saw in the TV movie. So when he stabbed Eddie, and I knew Eddie died in the book in the TV movie. I'm like, is Eddie going to die here? Is this his end? Because he stabbed in the face. Usually you don't see that in a horror movie as just... The, I I like the CGI. You see the blade in his mouth and he's talking and like, "Well, isn't is my time?" But yeah, he steps in a shower with the knife and stabs him through the shower curtain. I'm like, "This is obvious. It's not shocking." Then to end it On the line, you should cut that fucking mullet. It's been like thirty years, man. What? You just got stabbed in the face. You're not Richie. Hey, got a big laugh out of the crowd. Yeah, and this is what happens
3: when like people are just like they're at least they know where they're going. Like, oh, it feels warm to feel something. I'll just go with this as a comedy because I've totally given up on the idea that this is scary anymore. Like that is a distant memory. Like I think about this being rated R and keeping the kids out. Like, okay, this that's the primary. Audience. They're going to have a, a rip roar in time laughing at physical comedy about a guy pulling a switchblade out of his face. I mean, did Peter Bogdanovich make this? Like, I, again, I'm just who <laughs> came
1: up with this? Because this wasn't the guy that made the film last week. It doesn't feel like it. It really, I was so happy they brought back the creative team, but I wish they brought back the creative impulse.
3: Yeah, this is, it's off the rails. I can honestly say up to this point, I was feeling this movie was unsatisfying, but recommendable. At this point, I've turned. I'm bitterly
1: hating the experience. I want to know what the point the scene had. One thing that I'm really struggling with this movie is I'm looking at it overall. Everybody is trying to have their own journey, but if you're going to make a movie, those journeys should be in parallel and speak to theme. And the theme of this movie is adults dealing with the sins of the past, the sins of their parents, and facing their past so that they're finally able to move on from it, you know? And that's a big thing in therapy a lot of times is finding the things in your past that still haunt you and you need to move past it. Yeah. So I'm seeing that as this theme. What I don't understand is what some of these scenes do to feed that theme, including the killing of the little girl under the bleachers. And then this scene where they don't even stop Henry. Henry's going to escape out the window despite being stabbed in the chest. And
2: Eddie isn't waylaid. They're just going to put a bandage on him. That's what I'm saying. Get rid of Henry Bowers. This is all they have to do with him. I was shocked. Like, I'm like, oh, he's still alive. We're still going to do stuff with them. Like, it was weird that he showed up to stab Eddie and then get stabbed and falls out a window. And I'm like, that that's a weird scene story arc, but no, he's still alive so, uh, I don't know, he's gonna pop up again but, yeah, I feel like there's an idea that this should be about confronting childhood trauma and then it doesn't do anything about that.
3: Everyone has a a pair, like Beverly has her father and Eddie has the pharmacist. To me the natural pairing of Henry Bowers is with Ben because he carved that H in him which I was expecting to see on the new washboard ads. I'm like, <laughs> let's see that the scar is still there. Let's see that he's still
1: fearing this guy. Ben never takes his shirt off but I was going to stare at that nipple. Yeah, right. Or, or,
3: <laughs> they should have given this to the old spice guy. Like if that's like his at any rate my feeling is that like Henry Bowers only makes sense if he's threatening one of them. And they each have their one to deal with in order to process Pennywise and the trauma. But the fact is, he's an equal opportunity stabber, and he's going to later come at Mike in the library. So it really doesn't matter to him until he kills all the Losers Club. He is just a fake Pennywise.
1: Now, pointless subplot. This is where Richie decides he's going to leave. Ben had gone up to... Get out of the screen so that he could convince Richie to stay, which we never see. He comes down saying Richie is staying. We see Richie run out the back door, drive off in his Mustang, but he doesn't leave town. This is where he has the flashback to Stan's bar mitzvah and then decides to come back. Guess what? Cut it all. Mm -hmm. Seriously, cut all of this.
3: Yeah. We're at the funhouse. The funhouse is where it's at because it's where something can be done. Thinking about your past where Pennywise is not going to hurt you. He's well-established. I'm just going to sit there and break out some teeth, but I will never bite these people. Never. I have a million opportunities. I'm never going to eat them.
2: I mean, that was my problem with the first film is that it's a lot of scares for two hours. And then he finally goes in for the kill at the end. Like, just kill him.
3: Yeah. So let's stop him from hurting the people that he is biting into. Dean is the thing I'm most into when we see Bill running in here to the Black Blacklight Funhouse Hall of Mirrors and is,
1: you know, cannot reach the child in time. This movie is redeemed in the funhouse for me. Best Hall of Mirrors scene since Under the Dragon? <laughs> I mean, that's a very different scene.
3: And, and one I like more It originated it. But uh, I will say that, yes,
1: here is a scene that I can imagine liking if I didn't hate this movie at this point. And I don't hate this movie at this point. I hate Angel of the Morning. That is the only thing I'll use the H word on is that Angel of the Morning choice. But I'm... Certainly, seeing areas where this film could be improved. I think they got good actors, they should have used them better. So, this scene is helping win me back, you know, when I'm, yeah.
3: I'll I'll go with that. I I, I like the movie better, having watched this moment, realizing he couldn't save the child. It spatters all over the mirror, and what is that? And just the way Pennywise worked here, bat bashing his head against there. That's just it's an upsetting moment to see him break the glass down by battering his head. Maybe that's why he's got those cracks, Jacob, in his makeup. <laughs> is that that's how he's getting around town? He's just totally headbanger.
1: It looked a little like a puppet to me, but I love it when it isn't a puppet, where you get to see Skarsgård behind. The webbed glass and smiling. And Bill says something important. I mean, not that we don't get it, the guilt of all of it. But
3: he says, just take me this time. Like, again, his whole mission is to self-sacrifice. And that's why he's going to run off to the climax alone. He doesn't want to endanger any more
1: lives. Good news, they're not ever in any (laughs) danger. And... Why doesn't Pennywise take that deal? If you remember, at the end of the first movie, he says to the other kids, Leave me Bill, and I'll let you all go. Have long, fulfilling lives. So here, he should be like all right, good. I'm going to take out Bill. The rest of them are just going to leave town without him. I take Bill and then I'll eat this kid after that.
2: Yeah, you can have that be the reason the group, I mean, they were copying the whole Beverly line from the first one, but. Sure, but that's
3: fine. I, I like that better. Yeah,
2: have a reason for them to get together. I don't understand why they all join Bill, except that's what they have to do. They're the losers.
3: Maybe the only thing that they get right is that they realize they need to bring Mike along. He is not going to be sidelined from his attack by Henry Bow. In fact, he is going to be saved by Richie, who gets a spare
1: tomahawk lying around. No, it was in the it was in the cab
2: Oh, it, it was prominently set up in the first act, that tomahawk. <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: yeah. Oh, I saw it. Yeah. Okay. No, I just...
3: I think it's funny, the idea that they an actual tomahawk would be on display in a public library in that way, and they fall through the case a lot. Again, poor Mike is just so perfunctory here. We had, His trauma is he literally gets one page in a book that pops out that he believes that his parents were crackheads.
2: Oh, I knew that was fake. I'm like, no media corporation is going to put crackheads... Right. Like, like two crackheads burned to death. Like I'm like, that is not a real headline. <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah, I that's I, I understand media can be racist or, or racially insensitive, but no one has ever written that obituary.
1: Yeah, you say Mike doesn't get sidelined for the climax. No, he got sidelined for the middle hour of the film, though. He doesn't go find his rock. He doesn't have any flashbacks from the past. He gets a brief look at a newspaper and a very short fight with Henry. But if I can steal Richie's joke, they're finally going to go to that house, which is long overdue.
2: Yeah, yeah. Th- here's the thing. I'm so annoyed that they're going to redo this whole house thing be- probably because it's taken so long to get here. If we would have got here at the you know, 90 minute mark or something, then may- I'd be more tolerant. It has taken forever to get to this house and now it just feels like oh, we're just going to repeat stuff from the first film.
1: But you should be happy. There's an hour left here.
3: <laughs> yeah, I, it's stunning when I realize that because I have been keeping track of my watch and, and pacing this thing. I knew it was long but I am yeah just horrified that There is another hour of this to go.
2: And And the whole point of this house is to rip off the thing. John Carpenter's version. Like, they're just going to do that head monster.
1: No, they're also going to rip off A Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Because he... Pennywise is going to carve words into Ben's stomach exactly <laughs> like Freddy did to Joey in part three.
3: Yeah, not to mention there'll be a Pomeranian that turns into a monster. All hail Zool. I do feel like, yeah, it's <laughs> it's, it's it's 80s ideas of horror are now being displayed. And maybe that's correct if you realize that King trafficked in 50s ideas of horror. One thing I would add is the thing wasn't a hit. Most kids, unlike me, my father took me open weekend, most kids didn't watch that film, wouldn't remember the spider head. And I don't think that we're supposed to think that it's a quotation. I actually think... That they think they're getting away with it.
1: No. Hater said on the set, I need to say this line. We need to pay homage to the thing if we're going to have a a head with spider legs.
3: It's so horrifying in Carpenter's vision. Here, it's all a joke. I mean, it's all so Richie can do one-liners about, oh, there he is. And why do it if it's for comedy effect? I mean, aren't we now entering the climax where you absolutely don't
1: make us laugh? And... But here we're supposed to get Eddie's character moment again. He's too afraid to help pull this head off Richie, and Bill isn't strong enough to do it alone. So Beverly and the others are going to come in through a window or something? I don't even know how they got there, but I think it's a window. He ought to be afraid, because that gash in his
3: cheek, when he's swirling around in sewage water, will be infected, and he will (laughs) die of that. If he didn't die down there, he would die minutes afterwards of that
1: infection.
3: (laughs) He is a walking dead.
1: Yeah, the word septus does come to mind. Oh,
3: yeah. he's. I can't believe that they brought him with that gash in his face.
2: He didn't even get it sewn up. I mean, it's still bleeding through the gauze on his cheek. Yeah, and they literally just put a
3: Band-Aid on it and said, let's go.
2: And he's game, though. I mean. <laughs> Why not? It's all a lark.
3: It's all a comedy. You can do anything in this realm because it's Looney Tunes.
1: And we're going to get this idea reinforced because they're going to go under, through the brown water. Smeagol is going to show up again and pull Beverly (laughs) underwater.
3: I have to believe that they wrote something with that husband. They filmed stuff with the husband coming back and attacking her. And they realized it was too long. It was too complicated. And so they just did this. Because, yeah, that old lady pops up, grabs her, pulls her down, and they don't even bother to show how she gets away. Everyone just dives under the water and pulls her out. And they're like, okay. I'm like, oh, there must have been a different transition that was just elongating the movie way too much. And so they just made it this lady, this neighborhood lady we we haven't seen in an hour and 15 minutes.
1: The lady was the scariest thing in this movie. They made the right choice to use that scene as a trailer. Scarier than anything Skarsgård does in this movie. But yeah, bringing her back as this... Clay, I'd almost call it claymation graphic, you know, instead of CGI. Some kind of claymation CGI. It's
3: not even a fight. Again, it'd be one thing if she fought with it. She goes under the water, it's time to sink, and then they come up and she's fine, let's keep going. Uh, okay, well, then why do that at all? What was that if it wasn't a, a, a psychic
1: battle of some kind? It's, I think, supposed to be so Eddie gets to be like, don't be mad, Bill, because. He already was doing that. He was doing that with the spider head in the kitchen.
3: We get it. Eddie is afraid to go down. And so you give him the part of the fence so that he feels that he's a monster hunter. Now I I, like how many scenes do we need to hit that gong?
1: Well, speaking of gong, let's start the ritual of Chud. They finally get (laughs) down there to this millennia old husk that, it came to earth in. Yeah,
3: it looks like H.R. Giger's take on the Fortress of Solitude. It's like <laughs> you can see the impact marks, but it has that dark quality that he always brings. That There's a the lattice work to all that stuff that, again, I don't think that's a mistake. That we will get replays of aliens in this climax with the way that Eddie dies is just the same way that Bishop the Android dies in Alien. I don't think that's a mistake. Again, they're inviting the idea that we're reliving our 80s movie memories.
2: But wouldn't that make more sense if you had a feeling like the kids had some affection for Alien, and so he's turning that against them to scare them? I, I don't know. It, yeah, there there's a subtext there that they're bringing back the 80s to frighten them. I just feel like if that's what they're really trying to do, I don't know. You don't have to make it Stranger Things to make it super obvious, but a few lines. I, I feel like, yeah, that we're going to use what scared you as a child, the movies, the media, whatever, is going to come back and still haunt you because you haven't dealt with trauma make that a little bit more obvious.
3: I know I'm on the right podcast to get the answer to this, but I couldn't <laughs> help thinking about the creature that ate Boba Fett in Jedi. The Sarlacc. And thinking it looked exactly like the tunnel that's above them at this, where that's lined with teeth, and that the deadlights come down to go into the bucket.
1: Listen, despite how much people say the Sarlacc was Vengita Dentata, this is, I mean, it's pink, <laughs> it's shaped that way. I mean, and there's holy light at the end of it. This is a big spiky pussy. Yeah. And again, why
3: make it female? What, what are we playing with gender ideas and all? Uh, rich stuff to explore? But again, Mushetti made mama and he would be the only one to like, look at the mother as a horror figure and not find any Freudian ideas about it. I mean, he just, these things almost don't even occur to him. That's really frustrating. But it looks great. That's why he got the gig, is that he's making this stuff look dramatic and epic, even though at this point it's also looking awfully silly as they throw the stuff in the bucket and burn.
2: I mean, which is why they're going to have Bill Hader call it out. Like, how is a token going to burn? How is a rock going to burn? It's going to take forever.
3: Why would you want to burn some of this? I mean, some are objects of pain. The inhaler, Georgie's boat, the token even. But why wouldn't Bev want her postcard? Why wouldn't Ben want his yearbook page?
2: Because you have to sacrifice something that is meaningful to you, I guess.
3: No, I would think you'd want to burn things that cause you pain
1: and get rid of it. I could say that maybe that yearbook page caused him pain because if he could have forgotten Beverly, maybe Ben wouldn't be alone. Okay. I mean, yeah, I'll take it because what else do I got? (laughs) That's sure. All right. But also Mike did say you're supposed to sacrifice. It's supposed to hurt.
3: Yeah, but why, I, I, yeah, Eddie giving up his inhaler, he's still tugging on it even as he's throwing it in. Yeah.
2: I mean, Mike's sacrificing a bloody rock. I Really, that's something that meant a lot to him throughout his life. Forget Mike. Mike don't matter. And <laughs> Richie is sacrificing
1: an arcade token That was so important, it didn't even get included in the first movie.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, okay, so maybe some of this stuff was set up before, some of it's not. But whatever, they're doing a ritual, and this is where we find out that they were always fated to fail. That Pennywise is laughing when he lands into this bucket, the lid won't close because it's a red balloon inflating until it pops, and we now take a look at... I guess I'll call it uh, spider-wise.
1: I've read that online, too, is spider-wise.
3: <laughs> is that what they're calling him? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I mean, what, uh, crab-wise, I guess. he's He's almost more crustacean than he is spider here. Much,
1: much better. I've complained so many times on this podcast. I hate it when you bring in the big monster and take out the actor. Perfect solution. Although it did not work for Lost in Space. I was thinking of Gary Oldman, where he's like, I am a rocknid. You know, at the end (laughs) of that. (laughs) Nothing worked. Nothing worked in
3: that redo of Lost in Space.
1: And this is very similar, where you have the actor become the spider creature at the end, but it works so much better that you have Skarsgard performing on a monster body. I know the movie has it, but let's just Just try to imagine
3: what Mike was thinking like, all right, I'm going to call all my friends together, get this bucket that I sabotage that I hid the fact that admitted its own failure in its ritual and cut off that piece that would expose that and drag them down into imminent danger when they could go about living their lives unharmed until they died of whatever Beverly dreamed of at some point, who knows what the hell that is and why it would come to be and how Pennywise would guide it, whatever. And so he's got, he's brought them all down here to do it. He believed that he had more mojo than an Indian medicine man.
1: He believed that they had more faith than the native American people that first fought it. I wish there was a different reason. I wish like he was bitter that he was the one who stayed behind and he wanted to bring them all down and let Eddie live and maybe Mike dies although you never want to fall to the trope of killing the black one, but this is bad. He's like, "Well, the Native Americans didn't believe, but I thought we believed enough."
3: Again, why why would you believe why would you draw that conclusion? You took their dope, you watched them die. I just don't understand why you think you have more going on for
2: you. If they could have somehow tied that into his trauma of watching his parents die in a fire or something that he felt like he could have saved that I don't know. You gotta tie these themes together. Like I, that, that is my biggest problem here is you set up a lot of little threads. Oh, you can make this really meaningful, but nope, nothing gets explored.
1: No, we're going to scatter them apart and, with the exception of Richie, put a bow on each and every one of their personal trauma. We're going to literally have adult Bill looking between kid Bill and Georgie, as they argue, and we're going to have the worst retcon, I think. I, I dislike
2: this almost as much of Angel of the Morning. So this isn't in the book? No. Because it doesn't feel true. Like, I felt like... Bill was really sick in that first film. Like, why he's helping Georgie make that boat. I don't feel like he's ever faking it. Oh, come on. Like, if you
3: didn't want to play with your brother, I can speak from experience as the younger brother. You just get the door slammed in your face. You don't sit around with paraffin making a paper boat. for That would take longer than
1: if you had actually gone out and played with them. Exactly. The fact that he spent so long making the boat and doing all of that... It was not faking because you didn't want to play with your brother that day. So this is a retcon that, if you've seen the first movie, is strictly unbelievable and out of character. And there's so many more ways you could play with this. But in the last movie, Georgie did say, you lied and I died. And I never quite understood the lie. So I guess they were setting this up a little bit. But no, I took it as Bill was always sick.
3: It's bad. Anyway, you want to carve it like just this whole psychodrama of I have to kill myself and drown Georgie again. Like we already did this. Like your story was wrapped up. It would just be much more helpful if Bill was corralling the children that had been seized. If, the, if all the people that had been taken from Derry in 2016 were here and he was trying to save them in the way that he couldn't save Georgie, that's what you give him to do. But to play this out again,
1: yawn. It's just not as good as they did it in the first one at all.
2: And what is up with the cattle prod gun? Like young Bill tries to shoot older bill with it it doesn't work and then he turns around because i guess that's really penny wise yeah he didn't even have the cattle
3: gun he was never on a ranch to kill sheep yeah it's
2: so weird that he pulled out the cattle gun this is so
3: bad and so clumsy that i just i don't even want to give it any more merit by expending (laughs) oxygen
2: on it well
1: mike gave bill the cattle gun when they fought it the first time but that
2: had nothing to do with georgie it feels like you should have to do with georgie
1: Bill killed Georgie with the cattle gun, so Bill's going to kill older Bill with the cattle gun, but it doesn't work because it doesn't believe. I actually think it's lamer what they do with Bev and Ben. Oh my God, this is so bad. Yeah, that he's trapped
3: in the collapsing clubhouse while she's thrown back into the bathroom stall, flooding with blood for because, because of the shining. Be the shining
1: yeah they I, even are
3: going to do here's Johnny. i couldn't believe and i didn't recognize who the person was but yes yeah, some woman pokes her face in and says here's johnny who was that
2: no that was henry bauer
3: Oh, it was Henry.
2: That mullet made you think it was a woman.
3: Okay, yeah, I guess Meg Ryan here or something. I don't know what it was, but okay. Yeah, All of the fact that they've got to recite the goddamn poem again and say, I love you, I love you from across the dimensions, stinks. It stinks so bad.
2: Yeah, th- Ben, they don't even care. It's just like your clubhouse is going to collapse. Yeah,
3: this clubhouse
1: is collapsing.
3: <laughs>
2: this
0: whole
1: thing is falling apart. All right, I'm going to give a compliment to the scene, though. Benjamin Walfish. I didn't know that name, but I've seen a lot of movies he's worked on. Hidden Figures, Annabelle Creation, Shazam, Hellboy. He's the composer for this film, and at this moment, he is pulling some Christopher Young Hellraiser shit going on, and I'm loving the score. It does not fit this scene at all. It feels like Pinhead is about to rise out of an altar, but... Man, is that some good music with this Lena scene. I couldn't hear it over my screams of despair. (laughs) Truthfully, I have a problem with the sound mix of this film, though, because the music is so loud. Oh,
2: it was all, there were so many lines I couldn't hear.
1: Yeah, their music is overplaying the dialogue so many times that I'm struggling.
2: I, I actually thought it was the theater. I was about to go out and complain, but I guess that's just the mix. And
1: I thought it was because I saw it in IMAX, but you didn't. So this is the mix. Again, is the editor just fucking with Machete? Was Machete off getting stoned, and the editor's (laughs) like, I'm gonna see if he notices nobody can hear this. You know, which
3: I guess is why Richie and Eddie as stupid as their story is, like, it's the best one of the bunch when they're deciding which door to walk through. They're all not very scary by my calculation.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's a callback to that first film, but I like the joke. They set up the whole thing with the little dog, and yes, we're gonna see that little dog, and again, not a lot of jumps or screams, but a lot of laughs from the audience. And
1: what, that lady, the screamer in my audience, screamed when the Pomeranian <laughs> turned.
2: I mean, I was just waiting for that. It's, it, it's expected. But
3: you know, if the scariest thing that Michelle can think of behind the very scary door is a bunch of tap-dancing legs with no body. He should go make an Annabelle movie, right? Like, these are lame, lame ideas of fear.
2: I mean, the guy who wrote this did write the Annabelle movie, so...
3: Oh, God. Well... Hmm, I'm on to something here. But again, because it's so comedy and because the audience is enjoying it so much more than the rest of the stuff, you can just feel it. You can feel it in the crowd because of their laughter, because of when they lean in. Yeah, the dog and all this stuff is winning them. It's almost like they should go back and refilm chapter one as a comedy (laughs) to fit.
1: Yeah, it is true. This movie works better as a comedy than A horror. Just to jump to something, I saw this with a friend of mine, and we walked out, and uh, you guys probably can tell I don't like this one as much as I like the first one, but I talked to him, and he's like, this movie's so much better than the first one,
2: and my jaw hit the (laughs) sidewalk. I'm like, what?! (laughs) I mean, that actually kind of doesn't surprise me. I see... Yeah, that first one... Tried to be a horror movie. I I didn't find it very scary, but I could see why horror people would like it. This one, yeah, this I I can't judge this one as a horror movie. This it does feel like it's just more comedic. Ghostbusters three, as you said, Stewart. I think that's the perfect description. And
1: that was what he said. He said that he liked laughing and he liked the jokes in this one, whereas the last one was horror, and he doesn't like horror as much as comedy.
3: Yeah, and hater's doing a great Bruce Campbell here. Like, when he gets caught in the deadlights and has that jaw agape and is floating and all that, I'm like, oh, that's,
1: that's Evil Dead 2. I remember that moment. And it looks like... He's fighting the Beetlejuice worm. Maybe it's all the claymation (laughs) that I've been thinking Tim Burton, but when it is in that snake form with the vagina dentata mouth with a hole in the back of its head, I'm just thinking the Beetlejuice worm, specifically because of the point beak. It felt more Beetlejuice than Dune. Yeah,
2: the way it's, its face opens up into a mouth, yeah.
1: Right and so again we're we're encouraged to laugh
3: I don't think anyone it's almost like the director would be upset if you were screaming in fear, like no, this is funny stuff and and enjoy it itself. Maybe that's the point is that if you can
1: laugh at trauma, that you become a clown and you're not a killer clown anymore, but here it could be that you want to laugh and take us off our guard and we're sitting back because Richie's yelling yippee ki motherfucker and then getting caught in the deadlights. Eddie throws the spear, thinks he's killed it, obviously not, and so we're off guard, we're laughing, and we're then really upset when Eddie gets stabbed for the second time in this movie, this time through the chest by Pennywise.
2: There's no way he should be alive unless he is an android, like an <laughs> alien. Like, I thought at at some point that they're just going to drag him out of there and he's going to be, I'm like, He has a hole through him, not just a puncture going one way. His lungs are destroyed. His heart's been stabbed. Like, he's instantly dead. This is
3: where I start fantasize about the turtle coming out and putting on a condom. (laughs) Like, I literally, I'm like, can we just gangbang (laughs) it now? You know, just do the gangbang. (laughs) Let's just all get down in it. Because this is, like,
1: as ridiculous as it has become. Like, this is just so stupid. There was a brief moment when they're down there and the ritual doesn't work that I did think the adults might gangbang as a way to form
3: (laughs) unity. I
2: made a joke joke when they all climb into that photo booth as kids. I'm like, oh, here's the game bang scene.
3: <laughs> it couldn't be worse. Honestly, you do need a force. If we're getting to the elemental idea that the only way to fight evil is to deny its existence. Something needs to be guiding them. And it needs to be better than Eddie saying, Oh, that th- that was the point of the leper attacking me was I remember it getting smaller while I choked it. Which we don't remember. We remember Angel in the morning and a puke joke that didn't land.
2: Yeah, when he said it got smaller, I'm like, it did. Barely.
3: I looked the second time. I looked the second time and it was taller than him. It was taller than him at first, and by the end of it, it was shorter than him. It was a subtle difference, but I don't know why he would remember to think to say that in his dying breath. I just that's that's stupid.
1: It makes no sense, but it does tell them that the best way to defeat your fears is to form a Twitter mob <laughs> and insult somebody
2: <laughs> until they run away. Here's the thing. Conceptually, okay, they're the losers clubs. They know what it feels like to be small because they were picked on and made fun of as kids. I, Richie still got his issues with his sexual identity. Like, okay, I get that. They're, they're, again, a good theme. And then they're going to attack Pennywise and make him feel small because they know what it... But uh, maybe I mixed it because the mix was so bad. I couldn't really hear what they're yelling. I heard like something like you're just a clown. But I would think they'd bring up their own trauma and, and project that onto Pennywise like they're Attacking the abusive father, the, the abusive mother, whatever. Traumatized them, project that onto Pennywise and attack those fears. But it, from what I can hear from the sound mix, they're just making fun of him because he's a clown.
3: There is in the visuals a changing of his face. He will become the mummy. He will become Beverly's dad.
2: He also turns into the painting, though, that... Stan was afraid of.
1: Here, this is actually something I don't like, is I've seen this happen in my own life. Somebody I knew was bullied as a kid, and then they reached high school and found a class of people weaker than them, and they became a bully to those weaker than them.
3: Yeah, I mean, that's the story of bullies. It's not like they start
1: out that way. Somebody hurt them, and that's not a happy ending that- these kids who've been bullied turn around and bully the clown until he's, you know, I know there's the good thing. You stand up to bullies because theoretically bullies are just cowards. Now, sometimes they're strong cowards who can hit you really hard, but they, you know, they say stand up to the bullies. Don't just run away. Don't let them bully you. But here they're bullying the bully and that's not a triumph. And again, it felt like just a whole bunch of, I, I couldn't get over the, my mind of a, a Social media mafia attacking somebody until they canceled their Twitter account I felt like I felt as bad for pennywise as I do for Kelly Marie Tran here would have been
3: a more bold choice in their modern life instead of being traumatized or or not I whatever you want to say about what was happening what if they had become pennywise what if they had been infected and in their daily life running these companies they were brutal they were awful they were hurting and slapping their kids I mean that's 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 makes them harder to like but it's also i think probably more relatable to cycles of violence and abuse
1: i don't know how that helps them beat pennywise but
3: again the the pennywise is not uh, a great setup for fighting what they've been battling i just i don't even think that this story leads to a satisfying conclusion about letting go of their trauma
1: It's hard, I feel, to find an ending. I mean, I don't necessarily have an ending for King's book that I think is better than King's astral projection tongue biting or that I think is better than the TV series Shoot Him With Silver Earrings or than this, turn him into a baby. I can't come up with a better ending. It is a hard story to give a fulfilling ending to because it's a metaphysical demon, so you can't just hurt it physically. This is better, though. Turning him into a baby is better than shooting him with some silver earrings and then ripping his legs off
3: I mean we saw it in Nightmare on Elm Street you brought it up I mean they just deny him I don't believe in you and it goes away that's never satisfying because the audience does believe in him and wants him to be real and loves the evil that he brings so to to have it not be a physical confrontation where you're actually battling and stabbing and, and fighting back but just yeah name calling yeah he deflates like the balloon that he is
1: And Mike gets to reach it and pull out the heart because Mike has had nothing to do the rest of the movie. (laughs) Pennywise gets one last scare. I thought he might have, you know, again, he should have waited and bit Mike's hand off. But he just becomes monstrous for one last second before Mike rips his heart out. And then all five in unison, like they made the pact at the end of the last one. They crush the heart in this one. Right.
3: Neibolt House collapses. Again, why was it standing in 2016? Is Derry doing well? Like, the story of small-town America, in my mind, is not that it has thriving main streets full of shops and...
2: Especially in 2016. That is when Trump ran, and that's, like, one of his platforms. Small-town America has been ignored. Like, yeah, they, they got a thriving economy in Derry. They, they got a carnival going on.
3: Yeah, I, I felt like there was a real mixed idea about whether the town was doing well or, or projecting doing well, or, or whether it was like Niebolt House, barely standing and needed a push to totally collapse.
1: It doesn't even necessarily feel like a small town when you have a butcher and all of these things going around. They got a parade going on. Yeah. And, you know, I think about the small town outside of St. Louis that is a very affluent small town. And- Its business comes only at Christmas. They become like a Christmas village. that period of time and then the rest of the year they don't have a whole lot of income but they make enough in December to last them all year and they don't have, you know, most of them don't work in the city, they work there so there are small towns that find their niche and thrive, maybe they open the carnival and that's why they're still there, maybe this carnival is going to be part of the Stephen king Averse, and we're going to have the dead zone where Johnny spins the wheel of fortune while the while Bill runs into the funhouse No
3: doubt this whole thing felt like King threw every idea he had ever had into a blender. This is a way of summing up everything that we've ever seen in a Stephen King book and then having them be free and and say, I'm moving on. I'm jumping over the cliff. I'm going to baptize myself and move on as an adult. What is the last thing Pennywise says to them? You'll look like adults. You finally let go of all that childhood trauma and that childhood childishness to do horror, and you're going to go on and do great different things.
1: So with Pennywise defeated, they all first of all, Richie is distraught over Eddie and so now we know who the other initial was obviously. And surprisingly nobody else is upset over Eddie. It's only Richie who's upset that they lost one of their own.
2: They didn't even try to take that body out with them. I come on, you don't leave your your fallen brothers behind. We got to
3: go make out. Bev and Ben have now ready to get it on. She realized when he burned that yearbook page, exactly who had written the poem.
2: And they go jumping into that water in the quarry. They talk about how dirty it is. And then Ben and Beverly are going to make out under the water. I'm like, that water's getting in their mouth. That is unhealthy. That That is not a romantic kiss.
1: Yeah. If you've ever kissed underwater, it's wet. It fills your mouth. Yeah.
2: I, I told my wife, I'm like, that's not how kissing underwater works.
1: Yeah. But I was a... A little bit bummed because I imagine that one or more of the actors had a modesty issue.
2: Yeah, they're not in their underwear.
1: The kids were okay to strip down to tidy whities These adults only take off their shoes. The men don't even take off their shirts. But this is obviously a baptism, a rebirth. When Bill is shown for the first time in the water with his head coming up out of it, It's clumsy. (laughs) It is a clumsy way to say this, that they are now reborn as new people.
3: You know, but if they had stopped here, I would simply say, mild not recommend. I didn't really like this. There were some things that worked. There's too much that I didn't like. Not recommend.
2: We got to bring Stan back, though.
3: (laughs) Instead... The balloon is going to inflate so large. I don't think it can be made how angry I am
2: by what they do next. I killed myself so you would win.
1: Oh, fuck
2: this shit.
1: (laughs) This is how can they do that? So are you guys saying, like, 13 reasons why this is going to inspire people to kill themselves? I think there's a danger of that, for one.
3: Not really, because this movie's not inspiring for anything other than laughter. (laughs) But I do think, why are you trivializing the fact that a man killed himself? Obviously, because he was frightened. And so to try and say that he did it for heroic reasons, so that they can put this very bad, happy ending, which supposedly was the problem with Bill's book, or what they wanted to do with it. That they wanted to have a horrible, happy ending, and Bill wanted to not do that. And instead, I guess he's realized that there's no other way. That he just embrace it, and that he's obviously, when we catch up with him in the epilogue, he is writing their story. We can tell from the passage that he's typing that he's talking very much about Eddie's overprotective mother. And the reason why he knows the ending is because he's lived it, and he's lived through it.
1: Felt very Stand By Me with uh, Richard... Dreyfus.
3: Yeah, very much
1: that. And yeah, we're seeing all the
3: characters. Again, just such a bow, such a tidy, like, don't even be mad about the suicide. We're still losers, and it's cool, nerds. I mean, this, this is just bad. Like, Mike is going to be, I guess, heading off to Florida. Who knows? He's never dated anyone or had any other family contact. We know his grandpa is dead because we saw that funeral thing posted up.
2: He'll see the real headline about his parents, finally. They weren't crackheads. Yeah, it was an electrical fire.
1: And yeah, young Mike in the clubhouse, he's like, I want to get out of Derry and move to Florida. Couldn't we at least have adult Mike be like, I'm finally going to Florida. <laughs> but no, he's
2: like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to leave. Yeah, we, we see that he's packed up.
1: They thought about
3: it as much as anything with Mike. Yeah, he's, he'll just drive off and give us our final shot, sweeping uh, drone shot of Derry. But yeah, th- again, I I can't tell you how offended I was that we're supposed to feel good that Stan killed himself. How could you?
1: I didn't necessarily take it that way, but I did transcribe what he said, and it's like, think of this letter, you know, he starts by saying it's not a suicide note, and I'd, I'd really want to know in what frame of mind his wife finds the body, mm-hmm. finds
2: this letter,
1: right. decides to Xerox it seven times and mail
2: it. <laughs> Find six. Oh, I thought he wrote the letter out six times because he's got multiple envelopes out. Like, I thought he had them all ready to go.
3: Yeah, I assume that he did all the mailing before he made the bathroom. You know
1: what? Like, let's just stop. It's so stupid. But yeah. The return address was his wife. And Mike says Stanley's wife sent us a note. But then he says, it's not a suicide note. Think of this letter as a promise. A promise I'm asking you to make me to each other. An oath. Be true, be brave. Don't ever forget we're losers and always will be. <laughs> that's that's trite. <laughs> to say the least,
3: is this how any single individual that had enjoyed chapter 1 wanted this story to end?
1: Let's find out. Jacob Stewart, do you recommend it,
2: chapter 2? Jacob you remember with uh, the '90s TV movie? I'm like, well, e- even if I like that one, it's not really recommendable because unless this one really shits the bed, uh, you know, there's going to be a better version. And oh boy, does this one come close? Chapter two, like, I they just can't do the adults. I I don't know what it is, but when I sit down and watch this one, I don't know that it, it's not scary. In, in my frustration with. Chapter one was that that tried to be a horror movie, and it it just didn't work for me. It it wasn't scary, but I could see there's horrific images, and and they're playing to those tropes of the horror film. This one, I I had flashbacks to The Last Jedi where I was just like, wait, what are we doing here? We're doing comedy all of a sudden, and I love Bill Hader. I love what he does in this film, but it's... Yeah, Angel of the Morning, like, that is a weird moment, and there is weird tonal issues with this film. With Chapter 1, I just didn't find it as scary as many did. This one, I don't think anyone's supposed to find it scary, and I think you're onto something with your friend, Arnie, that, yeah, if someone just wants a comedy horror, something that's, that's more funny than scary... I think this one works pretty well. I, because I don't have the attachments to the book, the, like when I sit down and watch this, okay, it, it's got some laughs. It, it's got some moments that mm, might be scary to people. Like it, it's, it's got some neat visuals. I, I think uh, if you're the age of the kids from the first film watching this, you're going to like it. If, if you're 12, 13, yeah, this is a entertaining movie. I don't know. It's again, because I don't have a whole lot of, Attachment to the book I, I kind of just take this movie as it is Again, some some decent scares Some decent visuals Of, of frightening things I, I like Pennywise as the spider at the end uh, And yeah I, I laughed during it Like it's entertaining as a comedy So it's frustrating, though. I, I feel your frustration, Stuart. I just, I, I, I can't get that angry over it because I didn't love the the book that much. I didn't love the original 90s TV series at all. So yeah, it's a weak recommend. It, it's going to be entertaining enough, I think. Stuart,
3: yeah, let's play truth or dare, shall we? Here's a truth, one I don't like to admit, but my high school English teacher was right. Stephen King is not a great writer. He is not disciplined enough to look at what works about the ideas he has and shape them in a good story. And his book, It, is most definitely a sloppy bitch. (laughs) That is exactly how Richie characterizes him, and he is right. And so the dare is for a filmmaker to do the heavy lifting and throw out what doesn't work. It is for their responsibility to say, yeah, well, this made sense for a drunk writer who was processing his childhood trauma 27 years after the fact. But we don't need to be beholden to all of these details. We need to find the spine that will tell the truth for today's audience. And I thought Muschetti was telling us at the start of this movie he was that dude. But Machete lied and it died. (laughs) Machete lied and it died. Machete died and it lied. I'm sorry. (laughs) Machete lied and it died. (laughs) And cutting the turtle is not enough. Yeah, he did throw out some stuff. He did reshape some things. In many cases, to make it worse and more sentimental, I would add that he wants to have his Shawshank in here is too. Bad, But yeah, what he did was essentially allow his comic actors and comic ideas hijack the material because he didn't believe in the horror of it anymore. He knew what he had been left with with chapter two wasn't scary. And so, yeah, they just decided to have a party, almost a self parody of what they had done well with the first film. The best thing about chapter one was that it understood childhood. It understood the 80s, the language, the look, how kids bond, how they fight, what made them scared. Chapter two doesn't understand anything about middle age. It doesn't understand anything about small town America. It doesn't understand anything about processing trauma. The kindest thing I can say is if you were dumb enough to say, okay, we're going to just film it the way that it was written by Stephen King in 1986, then I guess this is as best as it was going to be. But that is not good enough. Last week was good enough. This is not. Despite a few well-crafted jump scares, I think that this it is a really big red balloon.
1: Well, before I get to my recommend, I do always try to bring in Stephen King's point of view, and I think truth will be born with time, but he appears to absolutely love it. He hosted a screening in Bangor, Maine. I mean, he acted in this himself, and he has said nothing but positive about it. As for what I think... I love that first movie. Somebody said on Facebook that they thought I was just playing devil's advocate, that nobody could love Bill Skarsgård's performance that much. Bullshit. I love that performance that much. I never play a role on now playing. I play myself and say what I think. And I love that. And I'm not kidding. I was so hyped for this movie. Part of me was like, part two is going to be as good as part one. And I want a new tattoo. I I was like, I know you're thinking about ink. (laughs) I was thinking about some ink. I just, I want a tattoo. And I thought a Pennywise would be really awesome. Oh, boy. So I'm like, but I'm smart. I'll wait to see part two. (laughs) (laughs) Thank God. Now, while I'm in the movie, I'm seeing the good. Bill Hader especially. The light is bright on Hader. I mean, I've always liked Bill Hader. And then when I saw that video you mentioned, Jacob, where he came out and spoke to kids about his anxiety and really opened up, I respected him as a person. And I really, this has made me a big fan of his. And my chastain disdain (laughs) did not bother me here. (laughs) That's a good rhyme. I'm going to keep, I'm trademarking that shit. Yeah,
3: you probably use it again. Let me put it that way. She's got more (laughs) rotten
1: eggs in her filmography. But she was really good here as the grown-up Bev. I don't think any of the adults were as good as the kids, but I think Bill Hader worked better than Wolfhard as far as the integration of the jokes, which felt out of place last time. He was like, he was trying too Wolfhard with those because it was a scary movie. Here, you know, I'm laughing so hard. Remember what you said about when we were standing outside of this house, Richie? I don't want to die. No, you're lucky we're not measuring dicks. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Hader wins the movie. But I'm realizing, my God, there is so much stalling here. And then when you find out the end reveal that it's all a lie, I'm pissed. I'm pissed because there's so much more you could have done. And I'm questioning, I know the first It movie, if you go back to its original creation, was in production of some sort for eight years and scripts got handed down. There were multiple writers credited for it. Here, with chapter two, you have two years. Only Doberman is writing it.
3: Yeah, it, Kerry Oji Fuganaga is nowhere to be seen. I don't know if he had any contribution to the last movie, but he was going to be that first director.
1: And so we have the writer of Annabelle and Annabelle Creation, The Nun, and executive producer of Curse of La Llorona, and writer of Annabelle Comes Home. All green arrows, right? Mm, that's not how I remember it. <laughs> <laughs> one, I gave one. So I, I have to look and think, maybe Doberman was rewriting something that was more solid, that was more scary. And maybe... I don't like Doberman's brand of humor, judging by the Annabelle series. And here, this isn't even like Annabelle. I mean, it's its own unique farce. But its biggest sin is it wanders aimlessly for so long that I thought about seeing this movie twice. I'm like, it's a three-hour movie. I saw Endgame twice, dense movie, gotta see it twice. When I walked out of there, I was like, you know, I don't regret seeing it. There's good in this movie, this movie would be so much of a stronger recommend if it was like 110 minutes, really. I mean, that's all that's great in this film is if you take out all of the artifact stuff and... Like you said, Stuart, you go from the kid to the fun house to the final climax, and you have supporting characters. Make it like Star Trek. Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, you guys have arcs. Uhura, Sulu, sorry guys, you're just going to do a fan dance in this one. But there is enough here for me to give this a mild recommend. Yeah. I'm not so heartbroken as to say that this craps upon the first one. The first one, though, to me, was a modern horror work of genius. I just love the way things came together in that one. It's just such a fulfilling and fun horror watch in a type of horror we haven't gotten lately. You know, it kind of harkens back to the 80s slashers I love instead of the current Annabelle conjuring that I don't. But here, it lost its way. It lost its heart. Would you guys imagine watching... Both
3: chapters in one sitting. I mean, with breaks. I'm not saying, like, can't go to the bathroom, torture session. But can you imagine one flowing into the second one in the same viewing experience?
1: Well, since I did say Green Arrow, we'll move on. And I'll say what Machete has said that he'd like to do. If this movie is successful enough and he has the juice with Warner Brothers, he would like to release it on digital or video in a 390-minute supercut restoring deleted scenes from the first deleted scenes from the second, and possibly even adding some new scenes that he didn't get to film and have one movie. It would not intercut. It would not be like King's story where you flashed from adult to kid. It would be the first movie and the second movie, but kind of like Coppola did with the Godfathers to have one movie for 400 minutes. And I'd be interested in seeing it. I'm very curious how much it would work to go from one to two, though. It feels like a double feature where you're going to watch the English patient followed by Chevy
2: <laughs> Chase's vacation. <laughs> well, that that's quite a I don't know if I'd want to watch these two as a double feature I, again, one right after the other one, because the second one retreads so much. I do think maybe yeah. Mimic the, the King book and, tell these two stories re-edit it so you have the adults and the kids storylines going on at the same time because i just don't see how the adult storyline works in it I, I we've seen two tries and it's, the kids are always better and so yeah maybe if you have the kids bouncing off of, and then going to see the adult stuff that, that adult stuff will just work but flow better
3: i'm not saying i wouldn't watch it with an open mind maybe it's possible that i could like some of this but i know one thing i don't like the ending No matter how he cuts it and whatever he does, however long he makes it, it will end badly. Oh, cut
2: cut that suicide note. Yeah.
3: I promise you that.
1: (laughs) But I don't think we're done with either Machete or Doberman. You mentioned Salem's Lot many times in this podcast. Doberman is writing Salem's Lot to be produced by James Wan. As a movie? A movie. Oh, okay. I'm game. I want it. I like that one.
3: It's much, Probably at this point, my favorite Stephen King novel.
1: And Muschietti, we're not done with him either. He is moving on to a film that I really thought was vaporware. I thought we were never going to see this. The DC Universe flash film.
2: I can't believe the DC Universe is still going on.
1: Are they using the same actor? As of now, what I read was Ezra Miller is still attached, although I did read an article that Lucas Till may play may take over.
2: Well, that's
3: the difference between a red
1: arrow and a green arrow for me right now. <laughs> And then, as for Pennywise himself, according to Machete, this is the conclusion of the book. There is no part three. This is the end of the journey of the losers against Pennywise. But, dot, 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 the mythology is very rich, and in King's book, Pennywise has been around for a million years, so he's been in contact with humans for at least 500 years, and he comes back every 27 years. So if you go back and back and back, there's a lot of drama.
2: Yeah, I just don't know if you're going to get a lot of success out of period pieces. Like, yeah, the Western Pennywise and uh, Depression-era Pennywise. Well, it's all in Maine. So I could almost see the witch, but instead of a witch, it's Pennywise. (laughs) I don't see Machete pulling off that.
1: (laughs) I'm actually going
3: to make a different prediction. They will have elements of that in the future movie. They are going to have modern kids, children facing off with an
1: evil clown. I personally feel like this is the end. I- oh, no,
3: come on. Did you not see that opening weekend? It doesn't even matter if it doesn't hit the greatest of expectations. It's too much money to walk away from the table, Arnie.
1: But they got Dr. Sleep. They can make money in other ways than It
2: Three. People saw this because it's because of the first film. They're not going to go see Dr. Sleep because they loved It.
3: Yeah, and nobody went to the Pet cemetery remake. It's not Stephen King that's going to get them there. It's this damn clown. And it's this damn clown attacking kids. It has to be kids again. These characters, they are done with, sure. But they will find a way to bring the goddamn three deadlights back to Earth for new children, in modern day, I predict, to fight.
1: I imagine Machete will only be involved in a producer-take-a-paycheck capacity. I think he is moving on to other stuff, you know, even bigger budget superhero stuff like his, like James Wan did. But I think we'll have a different creative team behind there. Although Doberman stuck with the doll Annabelle, so maybe doberman will have a script ready. Writers don't often turn down work in Hollywood, so it's hard to get.
3: Right. And we are doing Doctor Sleep as our next King. We are done for King right now, but that movie comes out in November. I saw the new trailer. They really are hewing to the Kubrick film more than I would have thought. It is grown-up Danny, but uh, he goes back to the Overlook.
1: Yeah, it's weird. It's Again, I I think of The Lost World Jurassic Park 2, where... The author wrote a book that took place in the book's universe, and you're going to take the story of that book, but make it work in the movie universe when the movie had a different ending than the book. And even more
3: complicated, the author didn't like the
1: movie.
2: (laughs) Hey, it works for me never having read that book, but I love that Kubrick Shining film. So to see that this is a sequel to that makes me more hopeful.
3: Yeah, I love when I hear that score. I don't know if what I'm seeing <laughs> looks a whole lot like the Kubrick movie. But yeah, I'm mildly excited about that. And a tease, we haven't announced this yet, but we're going to do one more Stephen King book adaptation this year as well. We're working out exactly where it will fall on the calendar, but we're going to do Misery.
2: I'm excited. for This is the one that got me to finally read Stephen King. This is the first Stephen King novel I ever read. Prestige
1: film. I remember loving it. I don't remember the last time I saw it, honestly. I've seen the stage play more recently than the movie.
3: Yeah, I'm excited to hear about that. Bruce Willis. (laughs) Bruce Willis? What is that about? Yeah, on Broadway, no less. With... Lori Metcalf. Yeah, she's good. She's made for Broadway. Him? Uh, I got questions. Can't (laughs) wait for that. But yeah, I remember the book. I remember the movie. And I think that'll be a fun show to talk about uh, as we continue on. God knows there are still dozens and dozens of Stephen King novel adaptations to go.
1: And as for what we're going to be doing the rest of the year, we're going to theaters a hell of a lot. Or sometimes we're going to, I guess, Apple for video on demand release, but. If you thought it Chapter Two was the end of summer movies and movie going, not for us. Two weeks from now, Rambo: Last Blood. <laughs> Two weeks after that, Joker. Two weeks after that, Doom: Annihilation. Yeah. Huh? you going to theaters for that well, one? Yeah, I can't wait for that.
3: No, I, I don't think so. I think that'll be showing up on That's some gonna streaming service. It's going to be on up at the five dollar
1: bin at Walmart.
3: Uh, five dollars seems generous.
1: <laughs> and then we've got. Four new releases in a row. Three from Hell, which we're reviewing b- about Halloween. We're doing it Halloween week, but it's showing up as a Fathom event next week, uh, less than a week from when we're airing this recording.
3: And in case you don't know what that is, because I didn't, Rob Zombie is back to conclude what he started with House of a Thousand Corpses, Devil's Rejects. Mm-hmm.
1: Then Terminator Dark Fate. Okay, uh, the newer trailer looked better than the first. Then Dr. Sleep, as Stuart mentioned, we're in mid-November. Then the week after that, Charlie's Angels. That's right. In between all of these releases, we're squeezing in a new retrospective series, Charlie's Angels. We needed something to fill the gaps. Jacob, Marjorie, and I will be back next week to discuss the TV pilot with Farrah Fawcett. Of course the TV pilot. (laughs) And then I'll announce one last retrospective, assuming... King Kong versus Godzilla does not get pushed later in the year as they have said they want to do.
2: We're going to do all the King Kongs and all the Godzillas
1: finally? All the King Kongs, yes. All the Godzillas no
3: <laughs> yeah we we uh will be building up to the new godzilla versus king kong we have covered that godzilla 2014 movie we will be picking up with this year's godzilla king of the monsters but mostly we will be focused on the big ape starting with 1933's king kong it'll be the oldest movie now playing is ever
1: covered by a mile yeah we've done 1951's mole men as i believe our current oldest so we're going almost 20 years earlier this one's got a little bit more prestige than that one (laughs) yeah
3: this also was probably a good time to announce what we're doing for fall donation we have already
1: finished summer of 1989 yeah we finished that off last friday with the abyss and so people should know there's only two days left as of the release of this podcast in the spring donation drive so if you want to hear the reviews of the man with no name trilogy and once upon a time in the west and once upon a time in america that really do influence Tarantino's new Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and all those reviews from 1989, Dead Poets Society, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Do the Right Thing, When Harry Met Sally, Parenthood, Sex, Lies, and Videotape, and yes, Last Friday's The Abyss, plus the four Lethal Weapon reviews. As of Friday, the price goes up at podbean and they will no longer be available from us through the classic donation method so you can head to nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate and get up to 43 bonus reviews just under the wire before we move on to the next donation drive which is going to run fall and winter coming up where we're going to be doing 20 more bonus podcasts between september and february Let's start with Silver, get a little bit of horror in with I Am
3: Legend. Yes, it was three movies, not just the Will Smith movie from 2007. It started with Vincent Price in the 60s, Charlton Heston in the 70s, and then building to the Will Smith movie. I thought that that was a good intro to talk about Zombie Apocalypse, which is where Silver Level will end, with Zombieland and the new Zombieland 2 Double Tap.
1: And then after that, coming out in January is a reboot of The Grudge. So we will be building up to that at goal level with a review of all The Grudge films. Now, in case you're not aware, there's 12 of them.
3: Yeah, we're going to double up some of those because the Japanese one, some of them are real short, only an hour long, but you will get two movies maybe some weeks and one movie when we do the American ones.
1: So yes, from the beginning of November into the beginning of January, that's two months of the Grudge, and if you guys like this, we are considering it's crossover buddy, The Ring for spring. But really, we want your feedback on on Grudge to. Determine if we put on that ring. And then for Platinum,
3: we're going to keep it West versus East with Rush Hour. Three films that I know nothing about. I'll be honest, never seen them.
2: Hey, buddy cops. We got Bad Boys coming back. Why not do some more Buddy Cops?
3: But that will be on our main feed. Just to be clear, Bad Boys was uh, the two movies we've already done on the main feed. We'll be wrapping that up in January. And we figured Rush Hour would be a good pairing. Maybe uh, a compare and contrast of what not to do and what to do.
2: And excited to do a a more traditional Jackie Chan film. Like, yes, we did Karate Kid, but that was him trying to be more dramatic. I do feel Rush Hour is more of what Jackie Chan is known for. So excited to talk about him in that aspect.
1: And what does next year bring? Time will tell. There's a lot of stuff that flux, but we have a great schedule. So hopefully you can donate and join us for the fall donation series. If you're a patron this Friday, Miami Vice... Yeah, a
3: lot of TV. Uh, you guys are going back with Charlie's Angels, uh, the 80s uh, drug bus show as well, Miami Vice, had a movie in 2006, a pick by one of our listeners. A patron said you guys need to review it. It's underrated, so that's what we're going to do. So that's this
1: Friday. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us for It. We'll be back next week, and until then, It is over.
0: I swear... If it isn't dead, if it ever comes back, we'll come back, too. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing. Come back anytime. Bring your friends. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You know, Eddie,
1: Whoa. it's been great. Bye. See you later. Okay, see you bye, later. Bye,
0: Eddie. Bye, yeah. bye Eddie. Now that you've heard the movie review, head to BooksAndNachos.com to hear Arnie's reviews and analysis of Stephen King's original novels.
1: This isn't real enough for you, Billy. I'm not real enough for you.
0: It wasn't real enough for Georgie. <laughs> and also come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review. Don't you want her? Don't you want her? Want it? Don't you want it? Don't you want it? In the nowplayingpodcast.com archives, you can find many more reviews of Stephen King films, including Sometimes They Come Back, The Lawnmower Man, Carrie, Salem's Lot, The Shining, Children of the Corn, and more.
2: From what I hear, the list is longer than my wang.
0: That's not saying much. In our archives are also reviews of film series such as The Avengers, Star Trek, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, Scream, Transformers, and RoboCop. Find hundreds of movie review podcasts at nowplayingpodcast.com. I never felt like a loser when I was with all you. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating.
1: We were all together. That's why we're still alive. I plan to keep it that way.
0: You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. I forgot. How could I forget? You can also join the Now Playing patron campaign through our Podbean site. Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month. Plus, even more perks, including one where you can pick a movie for our hosts to review. Find the details on our website. I've got to do something. Help me. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. You're working too hard, kid. Associate produced by Jason. You're doing fine. You can handle this. Now Playing is edited by Arnie. I know you're going to think this is crazy. I certainly think it's crazy. Now Playing Credit narration by Brock.
1: Do what you always do. Start talking.
0: The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts, and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. They're gazebos! They're bullshit! Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. Hey, so. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Vingonza Media Incorporated and may not be used without the expressed written permission of Vingonza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Ha <laughs> I'll drive you crazy and I'll kill you all! Now Playing is a Vingonza Media production, copyright 2019. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vingonza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. See you in your dreams. Beep beep richie.
1: Yeah, and point pointless subdiversion. While Henry's going in, Ben's going out. He's going to leave the group. He's done. He tells them he's staying. Runs Rich- out the. Oh. And pointless subplot Pennywise is on my wall.
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm like. <laughs> You got a clown?
1: (laughs) Yeah, he probably does
3: have have a baby's face on the the bug. There's a lot of of figures. Telling telling you crushed it with some Star Wars (laughs) memorabilia. That says a lot. Did you like the bug
1: (laughs) or or the memorabilia? Is your feeling the same? actually is something i've made that i handed
3: out
2: at i was gonna say which had, like, movie was the of. figure from that's that's gonna be very revealing which movie was which <laughs> mm. yeah movie character was he willing to damage to kill the
0: bug <laughs> mm. no it was, it was okay. one of my con badges
1: um are gonna wh- explain richie i did yeah oh
0: no. dogs oh
1: hold on i got dogs i'll re-say that line I saw somebody post on Facebook, a friend of mine, that if you're going to do a podcast, I don't care that you have dogs, but I don't want to hear them. And I definitely don't want to hear you screaming at your dogs to stop barking. And I'm like, I hope you're not talking about our show because I cut those all and make them bloopers. Mm. And he's like- Oh, they weren't talking to you. No, no, he was just posting like a podcast. It turns out I know the guy who runs this podcast, but they don't even pause recording. They don't cut it. They just mid-show scream at their dogs. How many shows would be ruined if we allowed that? I think you're safe now. Yeah, I'll say it again.